My name is Tyler Fornis, and I am one of the co-hosts of the Good, the Bad, and the Hungi AEW podcast here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcasting Network. We take a broad scope approach to the world of all elite wrestling and the entire universe of Tony Khan. We talk about the big matches, the big stars, the promos, the storylines. And we also look at it from a big picture perspective. How are things going to change over the course of the next 10 years with AEW still in the picture? How are companies like WWE going to adapt and adjust to AEW? Are they going to be a similar way like they did with WCW in the late 1990s? Will there be a counterpunch? We talk about all of that and more on the good, the bad, and the hungry every week on the Voices of Wrestling Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. What do you guys want to talk about? You are listening to the flagship podcast with your host, Joe Lanza. What has being annoying stopped you ever? That's an excellent point. An excellent point. That's part of the charm. Rich Crage. Corey Graves screaming, perfectly legal, Cole. You can do anything you want in tribal combat. It's perfectly legal. While Paul Heyman is just yelling, tribal combat, tribal combat, tribal combat, tribal combat, tribal combat. I'm like, God damn it. Fuck all of you. Fuck this. And we are live on the flagship podcast. I am Rich. He is Joe. Joe, what is happening? What a week. And wrestling, man. A lot of stuff going on. I did something to the to the fucking uh <laughs> the YouTube. I enlarged it and now I can't see the chat. And I don't know how to change what the fuck did I do to this thing? You have a lot of tech issues here. You can't get the Amazon Thursday night football game going on. You you're you're a disaster. What okay, so I have like this uh uh I forget it. Nobody cares. I just, I, I'm not going to be able to figure this out though. And I can't, I like to be able to see. You need to see the chat. Okay. Um, yeah, so I have a different screen a, than I, you have, so I can't really help you. I got, I got the live studio screen. I, so I, I, I see it a little different than yeah. you do. I, I don't know. Um, see if I enlarge the screen in, in the corner with the corner gimmick, then it puts it on the whole screen. That's no good either. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. what it did is it created, I, I hit something and it gave me like a, a you hit a something fucking, and then something happened. Okay. You, it you, it you, gave me a widescreen view of the YouTube video and took the chat. Oh, off I, of the I know side. what you did. I know what you did here. Go, go to, go to, go to YouTube.com, right? You're at, yeah, you're on your little YouTube, right? I'm obviously on there. Yes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. Did you try but restarting? Did you, did you try restarting your computer? Joe? I'm kidding. Um, yeah, no, the problem which you, you, you got to do is on the bottom right. There should be you're in theater mode, is what the kids call it. I believe. Get off theater mode. So so default view. There it is. There it is. See. There it is. Tech help. Tremendous job, Crage. That was fantastic. <laughs> See, I'm good. I'm so happy about that. That's why they pay me the big bucks. Now you can hear all these idiots making fun of you in the chat room. Yeah. (laughs) Why would anyone fucking use that? I guess. All right. Actually, I do see a function for that. Well, just go full screen, though. No, no, no. Go full screen. Theater mode's shit. Stupid. Yeah. That's a good point. Like, why wouldn't you just hit the full screen? Like, I use the full screen. I utilize that. Right, right, right. The theater mode 
seems like a complete waste to me. I don't I don't see what function that would that would perform. Like, I guess what, the, the full the screen would put it in, you know, the the a square and you want 16 by 9. It's all dumb. No. Go full screen. You know what? Go full screen. If you want 16 by 9 and you want like <laughs> Some high go, some, go watch something on your TV. Go watch something on your How about TV. Go buy a TV, than a normal <laughs> right, person. Right, right. You know, like like that. So again, I, I reject that as well. I, I, I don't accept you. that as as an explanation as to why that exists. Now, the mini player, I get that too, because you might want to continue scrolling the site or sure. Doing oh, the mini player, your, yeah, mini player, fully get the mini player. I, I've used that on occasion. You know, full screen, obviously. You know, I was just watching some wrestling on the full screen. I get that too. But this theater mode is bullshit. Like, what is the point of this? It's got to be some fucking, like, college kid thing. Like, who else would use this and <laughs> it's why? It's got to be one of those TikTok things or something. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I see what you mean. Like, if you're in a dorm and, like, that's how you guys watch TV is through, like, a... Yeah, that's what I mean by that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because I don't understand otherwise why, what would, what would ever be the function for this? This is, uh... All right, well, we solved that problem. Now, Thank now, God. Now Thank we God. can uh yes, I couldn't get on with the uh with the show until we uh until we fix that. So so Hothead but, uh, says the full screen will take all of the screen. On theater mode, you can use other tabs while watching a bigger screen, which is just A get two monitors, what? or B, like you're clearly not paying enough attention if you're going tab to tab and all that sort of stuff. Why, so why, just yeah, what do you need other tabs for if you're watching something? <laughs> oh, you're clearly not focused. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm with you. I reject. And you could mode. just like the standard size screen also still gives you the tab. So what do you need the theater? Yeah, that's what I'm screen? saying. I don't, I don't get. I don't get it. Yeah, I, I've never used theater mode. I only know theater mode because sometimes I fuck up and I hit theater mode. and I'm like, ah, what's going on here? I don't like theater mode. And then I get out of there. So we're back. And the uh, note of chat room, lively as always here on a Thursday night, flagship live. Plenty, plenty to get to. Uh, on this week's show, there is a ton of shit going on in wrestling. We have CMLL's 90th anniversary show. I almost forgot about that. Thank God Cubs fan blessed me with a uh, an email this morning to uh, remind me that uh, at Voices of Wrestling, there's a preview from Cubs fan. He had to remind me to, to post it. And then I also remembered, hey, their 90th anniversary is coming up this weekend. You got to talk about 90. When you're in business 90 years and you're celebrating that with a big time show, you got to talk about that. So yeah, we could not miss the CMLL 90th anniversary. Uh, so we will talk about that. We also promised this last week. I don't know if we promised it on air or off air, but we, uh, you and I both did some catch up on the recent uh, tournaments in Japan, uh, the Royal Road, all Japan's Royal Road tournament, as well as Noah's N1 Victory tournament. So we're going to talk about those. I believe you've, did you watch the entire N1? You went back and watched everything, right? In three days. Wow. So I didn't go that far. I watched a lot. I did not watch everything. Uh, from the end one, but you watched everything. I also watched the Royal Road. Uh, there's also the uh, Kento Miyahara Yuma Anzai match from uh, September uh, September 9th last week that I did want to touch on a little bit as well. It's a pretty big match uh, in the history of uh, of Anzai and, and, and a big match between Miyahara uh, and Anzai there. So we'll talk about that one. Uh, we have rumors abound about Jade Cargill and Edge and, and what their next steps of their careers could possibly be. You addressed some of those on the Thursday Dynamite reviews about Jade Cargill. We'll talk a little bit about the Edge thing and PW Insider you know, updating their initial report. And I wonder if that it, it, it kind of I don't know. I, I'll, I'll read what they said and you can see if it sort of changes your thoughts on, on, on what could potentially be coming uh, down the line for Edge. We also have turnstiles. We're talking turnstiles this week uh, in the world of wrestling because WrestleNomics reports that All In's turnstile count is much lower than what they announced 
as their paid tickets and people are losing their goddamn minds and we'll talk all about that and what it means and if it still breaks records and all that other good stuff we'll talk about turnstiles more than you could ever possibly imagine turnstile counts will be discussed we'll also well speaking of turnstile counts aw ticket sales not doing great over the next couple of weeks the 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 you know they just had their second worst attended dynamite of all time um, or the second worst attended TV show of the year, I should say. Uh, let me let me preface it better. Second worst attended AEW TV show of the year. Uh, only worse than a a, a collision in, in in Regina was a little bit worse than this. So we'll talk about that because that is not an isolated issue. That is coming up with a bunch of collisions coming up, with a bunch of dynamites coming up, with the pay per views coming up. They are having issues selling tickets. So we are going to talk a little bit about that, uh, and we're also going to get into Raw and NXT and Raw having a record low number uh, uh rating this week uh nxt having a near record best number uh, on their end so kind of the different uh uh, uh uh sides there with with raw you know having one of the worst you know the least arguably the, or i think it is the least watched episode of, of raw in history only worst one was a uh, a best of show while nxt has one of their best ratings of all time uh with becky lynch and, and, and tiffany stratton so we'll talk about that uh, a little bit later but first we do have to talk about probably the biggest news of the week which is unbelievable and with all that other stuff going on uh biggest news of the week the wrestling business completely changed. What we, what we, what the business was last week, and what the business is this week, has been completely altered by the brand new TKO Group Holdings. And for people that do not know, I, I don't know how you can't possibly know what this is at this point. But uh, TKO Group Holdings is obviously a, uh, a collection, a conglomerate, a combat sports conglomerate, basically. Uh, UFC and WWE merging together uh, with Endeavor to f- form this brand new TKO Group Holdings uh, thing, and, and all of them being under one umbrella. Uh, became official. We knew it was going to happen. It became official this week. Uh, of course, they are now publicly traded, and and there's a whole lot of stuff going on uh, that relates to that. But I think the you know the the first thing we'll talk about, and and there's there there's some news that has kind of broken as we've started this show, and then Nikon uh, sent around a memo to internal uh, WWE employees about you know what's going to happen for them uh, in the next couple of days, which is not good <laughs> for them if you're an employee of WWE. Uh, we'll read that letter in a bit, but uh, Joe, before we kind of get into that. What are your overall thoughts about this whole TKO group thing? Because we we are now entering a, a, a kind of a new world in, in in wrestling, particularly in WWE, where this company is not majority owned by a McMahon anymore. I mean, you have to go back to the Capital Wrestling Corporation to you know the the the, the beginnings in the early 1950s, all the way through everything else, and especially you know Vince McMahon, uh, who started opening this company in 1982. We're here now on September 14th, 2023, and while he still has a ton of power in TKO Group's holding, while he still has a ton of power over WWE. And while he arguably is still the most important figure in the company, he doesn't majority own it anymore. And it's just kind of a different world. Like a lot of different things can potentially happen with this. I don't know what's going to happen. We have no idea what this business is going to look like under this new TKO group thing. But uh, it is it's a new world. It's a whole whole new world. What, what have you thought about this whole the TKO group holdings rollout? And 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 how do you think it's going to affect WWE business or, or, or maybe not? Maybe you don't think it's going to affect it at all. And it's going to be business as usual for them. I never thought it would come to this. I I never would have wagered that uh, this would ever be outside the control of the family, ever. I I always thought that there was a a sentimentality to Vince. You know, all other issues with him aside and everything else, he seems to be a sentimental person in some ways. And I, I, I never thought he would take what, you know, what was considered a family business in, in this direction. He's, he's, 
just about 80 years old. And I understand this was a, a good move for him financially, but, um, and I understand that he thinks he's immortal, but, um, I'm I'm just not sure how much money you need when you're 80. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, he just I, made a hundred. What was it? 111 million dollars he made the other day, which is like great. But you're like 80. <laughs> I was thinking about that. I'm like, what do what do you, what do you do if you're Vince McMahon? Like what what? Like he's going to die soon, and he's going to die with more money than he's ever going to need. Like where does that? I, I guess you share it with the rest of the family or whatever. But like you had this company too that you were going to share with the rest of the family. So I don't know. All bets are kind of off with what you do with that money. I don't know. Maybe he'll die and give it all to charity or something. Who the fuck knows? He had more money than he needed before. That's kind of my point. Like how, you know, I guess. I guess they say, you know, even, you know how much is enough, and and the answer is always it's never enough when it comes to the extremely wealthy, but I, I, I just thought, you know, being 80 years old and already having more than you could ever spend for multiple generations. And um, I, I thought, I never thought it would come to this. I, I just, uh, you know, so I think that's the most surprising thing. It, 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 it makes me think that all of the rumors and conjecture that there are major rifts in that family uh, are true. Um, oh, you have to. Yeah, I thought Nick. You, you have to Nick think. Khan, yeah, I thought Nick Khan gave a very interesting answer to Bill Simmons this week when when they were talking about Stephanie McMahon. Thank thank God, Bill Simmons, the first person to ask any executive in that company, "Hey, what happened to the person that was the face of this company for the last two decades that mysteriously disappeared once Vince McMahon came back?" And oh yeah, it's Vince's daughter. And oh yeah, Paul, that's your wife. <laughs> Can we ask it? Bill Simmons got to be the first person to ask about Stephanie. Thank God he did. Jesus Christ, how did expect, that go that long? Expect- do you expect wrestling reporters to do that? Yes. <laughs> I don't know why I did. I thought somebody would say, hey, Paul, what's your wife up to? Like, you don't even have to go. Like, I, I always said this with these these press. You don't have to go and dig in and say, hey, are you and Stephanie still married? Or there's been rumors that you guys are divorced. You can simply ask Paul, what's next for Stephanie? Now, she's she's exited the company. Uh, she was this, you know, the stand-in CEO while Vince was gone. What's next for Stephanie? And let him answer that, right? You like let him say something. Nobody even bothered to ask once about Stephanie. She just disappeared off the face of the fucking earth after being the corporate public face of this company for decades. You're just gonna get unbelievable. A stock, you're gonna get a stock prepared answer anyway. That's and, fine. I don't care. And you don't get you don't get a follow up in these scenarios. And so you're gonna ask you him, maybe- hey, how was booking payback? Well, no, no, Rich, that's the thing. I, I'm not disagreeing with you. What I'm saying is you may be, now they're only doing these pressers five times a year for the big four and money in the bank, which they consider a major pay-per-view now. I think that's what they said. And so you have five cracks at these people at at, at Triple H. And there might be two or three reporters in that room, Max, who have the guts to ask a question that's meaningful in any way. And I don't even feel like it's that meaningful. You know what I mean? Like you can make it not that meaningful. You can just ask. My my point is just look at the odds here. Okay. You might have two or three people in the room who are going to ask a decent question, a Brandon Thurston or somebody like that. And then they have to get called on and then they get one crack at it. And they have to make a decision. All right, I get one crack at this. I don't get a follow-up. What am I going to ask? So when you look at all of that, what are the odds that 
someone's event because the rest of the people in that room are your Steve Falls and uh, your your dopey outlets that clap for the wrestlers and play along and and, <laughs> right. and you know the bunch of fucking idiots. The wrestlers come out and do the the arm thing where they say, "Yeah, give me a reaction," and they go, "Yeah." It's like, oh god. You know, and, and and so you know, and um and 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 quite honestly, we have, you know. You see a lot of wrestling fans who actually push back on the idea that there should be real questions asked. Oh, it's part of the entertainment. Oh, lighten up. You know what? People don't even deserve it, Rich. These fans don't even deserve it. Yeah, you're right. You know, you're because right, you're they right. don't even they they, compl- they don't even want it. Well, well, God you know? bless the sports and, guy for actually asking that question then. Right. So, so you're absolutely right. Bill Simmons asked an actual good question and pre- and pressed them a little bit on it. Now he. He still didn't get an answer, and eventually you have to give up. It's not meet the press. It's still the Bill Simmons podcast, and it with his know. former agent. Yeah, he's not exactly going right. to roast so the guy. That, that's a, that's as hard he was going to as he was going to go. But Bill Simmons is also smart enough and savvy enough to know that he wasn't going to get the answer he was looking for once he pressed him once or twice on it. And you have to move on. You, you have to move on at that point, uh, because again, you're this isn't fucking you know. I don't even know what example to give of some, you know, it, it, it's not the time or place to continue down that path and make it contentious. Um, but you're right. He was finally someone who did ask about that, but um, circling back to my point, I, I, you know, it makes me think that there was an interesting answer that he gave when he, when Nick Khan gave when he was talking about Stephanie and he said something to the effect of their issues or their issues or something like that. And he kind of caught himself. He I felt like he caught himself, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, so you know all of this adds up to i think that there are you know again it's just conjecture but i think that there may be major rifts in that family because i don't think this was a move that i thought vince would ever make i don't think that an 80 year old man needs to be more wealthy than he already is um and it's very conspicuous that stephanie mcmahon just isn't involved whatsoever anymore she gets fired let's face it she got fired Call it whatever you want. She got pushed out. Vince, Vince's uh, sex deeds come to light. So they bring her back in as a public face because they wanted a McMahon to be the public face. We all know that's what the deal was. She agreed to it. And then Vince comes back and she's gone again. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> what, I mean, doesn't take you know, a, yeah, you don't need to be a, a, an investigative journalist to say something's weird here. They, especially, you know, the person that largely was groomed to take over this company for 20 plus years i mean it was i wrote about it uh, i did an article uh, for our patreon a couple of uh, uh, uh like about a week or so ago about how hey this has totally changed like we've, we're seeing a brand new wrestling world here and i talked about how it felt for a long time like yeah it was vince's company that he inherited from his grandfather and then his father who inherited from his grandfather like it was a family business for so long and it felt like you know in the late 90s it kind of felt like okay this is going to be Shane's business it's going to be Shane McMahon's business whenever he wants it and he was kind of being groomed uh, as as the next in the line or whatever then that sort of started to cool a little bit for whatever reason whether it's Shane decided i was going to go try and do different things or or a little bit of an issue between Shane and Vince but then you know Shane exited and he was gone and he he cashed out all of his stuff and and said i'm going to go do you know streaming television in china or whatever the hell his companies were uh they ended up doing so he was kind of out of the picture and that's when Stephanie and and, and Paul took over and really, from that point forward, 
Shane popped back a little bit here and there, but he never felt like he was being groomed to be the next in the line for that company. He felt like, yeah, you can maybe, you know, have an executive position and yeah, you'll, you'll make a lot of money because we're just a wealthy family, but you were no longer inheriting this company. Stephanie and Paul are going to inherit this company. And it felt like for 20 years, that's what the whole, the whole thing was built up for these people that when Vince eventually, whether he died or just said, I, I'm giving it up, I have, I, I, I'm done here. It's your guy's company now. That was in place. That was ready to go in place, all set up. And over the course of, what, a year and a half, basically, we've seen that completely unravel to where we are now, where we're, Vince cashed in his family business and said, fuck it. I don't care. The lineage ends. Here, take a bunch of money. Now, he's still, yeah, I said he's still an executive. He still owns a percentage. He does all this sort of stuff. But they don't own this company anymore. They, they don't own this right. business anymore. The McMahons don't controlled. own WWE anymore. They're not in full control. Vince cannot just. And when, and when, he, and when he dies, they're, they're completely out. They're done. Yeah, they're, they're done. Yeah. So the, the lineage, the connection. Some, I saw somebody make this connection as well. The territories are now officially dead. Do you ever think about that? This Explain. was it. Well, this is the last connection to it. Was was because who? What else is left of the original oh, territories? Like, New York is gone. Right, like, like that's New gone York, now. Yeah. Right, like that was, and yeah. and like nobody connected that to the territories anymore anyway. But like, if you wanted to, you could draw a through line from Jess McMahon to 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 you know Vince Senior to Vince Junior to whatever. Like that's done now. It was that, a it was a it was a direct lineage. Right, sure. right. Yeah, to, yeah. you know, the Capital Wrestling, the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, New York, the NWA, all that sort of stuff. That's done. We are – close that book. I don't know why you're still writing that book. That's a very long book if you're including the last 30 years in the territory book. But now you can officially close it once and for all. But, but more than that, like you said, the family business is dead now. That family business is done. This is just a conglomerate now with no real connection whatsoever to, you know, the McMahon family other than that Vince is an executive there and Paul's kind of hanging around it for now. But, yeah, there, there's there's nothing in place that's going to make sure and ensure that the McMahons stay in control forever with this company like like it was for the last 70 years, basically. No, that's over. When he's yeah. gone, that's it. When, when Vince is gone, that's it. And that, you know, is going to happen over the next 20 years. I yeah. Mean, oh, and Linda's not end. a part I mean, of it guys... anymore because she she spent years uh, as the president they're, they're, of the you know, company. 70, what is he, 79 years old. So, yeah. you know, even if he lives to 100, he can't work till he's 100. I mean, you know, so, um, you know, it just, very shortly there won't be. And then TKO can do whatever the fuck they want with it. They can sell it to the Khan family. They can fold it up. If they if it becomes unprofitable, which they, it, that's not going to happen, um, they could. But the point is, they could do whatever they want with it at that point, and then the McMahons have no say whatsoever. And and I have to think that some of this is Vince being spiteful over something. I mean, sure. I, because I, I I just never thought it would ever come to this. Um, if nothing else, he there was no you know, signs of it. There was no signs of it ever happening before. It's not like he floated this for sale numerous times throughout the last you know fifty years or whatever. Or you know the last at least his control you know going back to nineteen eighty two or whatever. So the last you know nearly or a little over forty years now. Like there's never been another time where he's kind of been like, oh, let me let's see what somebody wants to pay for this thing. Like they, he just never did that through the thick and the thin and the ups and the downs or whatever they went public but still he held majority control there was a ton of McMahons on the board or whatever like yeah it went public so they could make a shit ton more money and they did but it was still all about him having control of that company they, they were a public company but he could never get voted out he could never get stomped out the McMahons were still completely in charge of that company and now they're completely not in charge of the company and that's just it's just wild because that's just not what this business has been ever at any point and it's just it's crazy so i i it, it's i, I would have thought i would have thought he would want to go to the grave knowing that it's still 
the family business. Yep. Mm -hmm. And and it's obvious that that's not the case. Now, I also would have thought that um, eventually Nick Khan would have moved on to his next um, power broker spot in another company at some point. But I think Nick Khan sticks with this for the long haul because why wouldn't he? Well, and now especially, I, especially. I, yeah, now that that's what I mean. It's not I a think, wrestling you know, business anymore. It's a, it's a, it's a combat sports conglomerate yeah. entertainment company now. That's right. And he is a major, major power broker in it. And he he's going to be wrestling. I believe he will be the one running the wrestling end when Vince is gone. Um, whereas if Vince had remained, um, you know, had not sold, I, I think that Nick Khan eventually would have moved on. Um, and I think Nick Khan had a lot to probably had a lot to do with swaying Vince into all of these directions. Oh, for well. sure. I mean, every everything changed when he hired Nick Khan. Mm -hmm. I mean, Nick Khan. You know, uh, people get real mad at us when we talk about it. I don't understand. Look why. at how much this guy has transformed this um, company but, in, in yeah. what, four years, five years? <laughs> Listen, I guarantee there's people on the track. He's a corporate ghoul. Calm down. I This is real life. I, I You know, I, I'm sorry you don't like billionaires. What do you want me to do about it? I have to talk about it. You know, and it's like, I, you know, everything changed when he hired that guy. And the guy has done nothing but in, in terms of helping vince mcmahon make money it's it's he is without question the greatest hire vince mcmahon ever made it's not even in dispute uh everything changed uh you know and and i think he probably had a lot of sway uh in, in this decision as well because it benefits him as it benefits him long term absolutely i mean <laughs> you know so i mean you know and people like downplay oh any corporate ghoul could do what he hey, stop this guy was well known within that world as the go-to person for sports rights negotiations and knowing where all those things are going. That's why they went to him uh, when they signed these giant just, deals that made them completely, yeah. you know, they're, they're so insulated from successor. It doesn't fucking matter. Once they signed those deals, and we said it at the time, go listen to those shows, the second they put pen to paper on those billion dollars worth of television deals, their business changed. It didn't matter. They were post-success, post-wrestling, whatever it was. They didn't matter anymore. They were going to get a billion fucking dollars for their television. They were a content company at that point. Yeah, it's just, um, you know, anyway, but I, I think that, that Nick Khan probably had um, a, a lot to do with this as well, because it obviously you could see where it benefits him greatly sure. moving forward. And now I don't think he'll go anywhere. If he'd be, you know, very wise to stick with this TKO group, um, you know, and he's a great ally for them to have. Absolutely. Well, because even, even if he thought, so. if, even he thought it was that he's working in the lowbrow wrestling business, which at this point he's kind of shed that and he's helped be a big part of shedding that to, to the corporate world you know, the wrestling business and, 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 and making it like, a, but now he's now with this TKO group, it's not wrestling. You know what I mean? Like, cause, cause there's always a little bit more respect given, I guess, to the mixed martial arts UFC, which seems kind of wild given, you know, where, where UFC was and where mixed martial arts was in like the early nineties or whatever, when it was like getting, you know, inside edition was doing reports on like human cage fighting. Look what's going on here in this MMA. And now it's like a respected sports property or whatever. But yeah, even if Nikon felt that sort of shame that, Oh, I'm still, I'm still in the wrestling business or whatever. He doesn't have to feel that anymore. Well, the thing about Nikon is he was always a fan anyway. So he never looked down on wrestling. Right. right. So he never really had to overcome that feeling of, uh, this is a, what kind of, you know, cause I, I feel like he, he, you know, he was a fan. Um, but, but yeah, obviously, uh, you know, TKO is, is a powerhouse and they've got the most powerful, uh, 
you know, person in, in sports media on their side. And, um, you know, he, he, and, and now at this point, I don't think that he's going to go anywhere was, was the original point I was going to make. And I think he will be running the wrestling side one day, essentially, you know, him and Vince running L. right. You know, so, um, he'll keep ascending that ladder and, you know, but, uh, but yeah, <laughs> anyway, and he'll sell Vince down a river at, at some point too. Don't, don't, you know, I yeah, think he will. I mean, There'll be a point where Vince is, is I, I getting too old or, or because he's, he's 80. There's no, you know, it's like, that's the thing. If Vince was 50, I would understand all of these moves a lot more because you're 50, you're young, you have so much life to live. I can understand gobbling up as much money as you can at the, at the expense of your family business. But Vince is making this decision at with with 1% on the life bar, which is what's perplexing to me. And from Nick Khan's point of view, you don't really have to bump this guy out because he's not long for, I, I'm not trying to sound morbid or, 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 you know, but he, he's 80, you know, forget, forget when he's going to pass. He can't work much longer. You know, even if he's exceptionally healthy, there's not a lot of working years left in this man. So, you know, just from that standpoint, even if he lives to 120 and if he does, you know, whatever, good for him. Uh, you know, how many people work past 85 or 90? Right. It's just exceedingly rare. It's just exceedingly rare. So, I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. I think I think Nick Khan understands he doesn't have to, wouldn't have to, uh, you know, pull a maneuver like that because I think he sees that, you know, whose name is on that board, Nick Khan's or Paul Levesque's? He doesn't need to bump anybody out. He's, he's already in position to... Uh, take over uh you know uh, the, the the whatever phraseology you want to use when vince is gone i do want to say one quick thing before we entirely move on only because it came up in the chat briefly when it in regards to bill simmons i i understand it's funny but that test thing is such a like people are making such a big deal out of him not knowing test was dead like that is like the dumbest thing if you know any maybe people just don't know anything about bill simmons or don't listen to his podcast or haven't read bill simmons that was totally just bill simmons being bill simmons and making a, a dated pop culture reference for a, as a joke and he just happened didn't happen to know that the guy was dead like that was no different than bill simmons talk talking about basketball with somebody and being like ah, hey, you know what the nets really need bernard king you know, like some player from fucking 40 years ago. That, like That's what Bill Simmons was doing when he brought up test. He wasn't like seriously pitching an angle and and not knowing that the guy was dead. It's like with Bill Simmons is like bringing up someone from, you know, 30 years ago on TV, like trying to make a joke or something. That That's all he was doing with that. And there's like headlines. Oh, Bill Simmons uh, brings up a man who's been dead for 15 years. Uh, so it's like he's, the guy went for a joke. And he didn't know the guy was dead. That was like such not a big deal to me. Right, like, right, right. He was probably just, like, yeah. If, if you listen to the content uh, or the actual context of, of it, he's just like, yeah, you know what you should do? Bring back Tess. Yeah, you can do a storyline with that. And he's just like, yeah, Tess is dead. He's like, oh, okay, well, didn't know that. Like, yeah, it yeah, wasn't, no, he wasn't it, like, Nick's here, hear me out. I got the million yeah. dollar idea for you, pal. <laughs> like, and, and then he, he followed it up with another joke. He's like, oh, well, does Tess have a brother? Like that was the next thing he said. Like it was totally right. in jest. Yeah, if like, you don't if you don't know Simmons's thing, then I get how you might be. It's hard for me to explain, but like you get it. Yeah, you right, know right, his right. sense of humor. You know, like 
his whole thing is he like brings up references from the past and he just didn't know the guy was dead it's it's kind of like what we do like yeah we do it all the time i was gonna say we, we do it do. every show like i would i'll bring up a reference and you'll be like is that guy dead and then we both google it real fast like ah yeah he's dead you know it's like that's essentially what that was but i mean i'm just gonna chalk that up to people not understanding how you know simmons communicates and his sense of humor or whatnot but um but yeah so now i guess the memo went out about an hour before we started the show that on Friday, tomorrow, we do this live on Thursdays. Uh, tomorrow, uh, Nick Khan sent out a memo telling everybody, hey, look, um, don't come to the office. <laughs> 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 Everyone is working from home tomorrow because uh, we're doing massive layoffs. I got I got the whole email here if you want yeah, me to read ahead. it. So, go okay. Uh, from WWE President Nick Khan to all employees this evening. Hi, all. That's a bad start, by the way. When ncon at WWE.org or WWE.com emails you and it starts with hi, all. Yeah, you're, you're, you're fucked. This isn't good. Uh, as part of WWE's transition into the newly formed TKO Group Holdings, we are evaluating our existing operations and systems to identify potential synergies across the business. This effort includes workforce reductions, which will take place tomorrow. What a, what a nice way to say you're all fucking fired. <laughs> workplace reductions. No, you're not fired. It's just a workplace reduction. Uh, those whose roles have been impacted will be notified by our human resources team who will share the details of their severance package. We are asking that everybody sorry i'm on pw insider and ads are popping up we're asking that everybody work remotely friday september 15th so we can ensure all conversations are handled privately and respectfully we'll send out a company-wide email once all of tomorrow's conversations have happened our company is home to the most talented creative and hard-working employees in the world WWE is a special place which makes moments like this difficult just know that we have nothing but gratitude and admiration for everybody we have had the privilege to work alongside thank you all for your contributions and dedication yeah, so, you know, obviously, when mergers and acquisitions like this take place, this is not uncommon at all. No, no, no. Um, this, this, anybody who, because everybody was like, oh, who's going to get fired? Uh, I think that, I think, big, you know, I think the Miz should get fired. It's like, okay, those guys might get fired soon. <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen with the Yeah, talent. hold on. Set that aside. Yeah. Because that's not what this is. Right. The this first people office. that are going to get the axe is the office. Because when you merge a company, two companies that do very similar things, okay, we have two accounting departments. We don't need two accounting departments. We have two marketing teams. We don't have, we don't need two marketing teams. We have two, you know, lawyer, you know, legal teams. We don't need two legal teams. That, that's when you emerge like this happens this is where almost immediately you get that big giant hack because it's like we're not going to pay two sets of teams for how long are we going to pay two sets of teams no you're going to get this over with as quick as possible and don't think that they already haven't had a list of people and 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 had these conversations already but now can officially do that now that they're and, a company and also i will i will also add that while i don't like anyone to lose their job okay and nobody does don't think for one second either that everybody in that office hasn't been preparing the resume since the news came down that this merger was. Yeah, coming. if they These weren't, they they should have been. Okay, okay, uh, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, exactly. They should have been. I mean, you know, so you know, it's it's bad. Obviously, you, you don't like to see it happen, but um, you know, certainly this is not something where they got this memo today and they were like, "What?" Yeah, if you work in the corporate world and like this level of corporate world, like giant giant companies like this. Yeah. Uh, if you know that your company is merging with another company, you should probably expect this and be happy if it doesn't happen, but expect like that. The pessimist in me would be like, well, I'm getting fucking fired then. All right, let's get all this ready. And if I don't Absolutely. get, if I don't get fired, then Hey, great. Okay. That's a weight off my shoulders now, <laughs> but I am going in the last couple of months. I have been well prepared that I'm probably going to get canned. 
Yeah. Which sucks, but that's what working in giant corporate America is. So I don't know. That's why I work for a company of 50 people. (laughs) It's a lot easier to do that. So, yeah, I mean, no one likes it. No one's rooting for it. It just is what it is. Uh, But I suppose more relevant to our audience would be will there be talent cuts? And no one really knows the answer to that. Uh, We can only go by how this company has handled the UFC. And since they've been in control, they've kind of taken a, you know, all right, let them walk kind of attitude when it comes to even people who were champions and, and, and stars. Uh, They seem to be willing to pay the tippy top stars, you know, but anybody below that level, um, you know, it, it it's so if, if they handle the wrestling side the same as they've handled the UFC side, there will not be sort of this, um, I guess, impulse to retain all of your talent the way that the previous regime often did. Um, so but we but we don't know. Right. I, I will say that this this just came out a couple of minutes ago. Uh, Nick Hausman, House of Wrestling. Uh, says that he was able he says quote house of wrestling has been able to confirm the authentic uh, authenticity of the email so the, the pw insider email that we just wrote about and that layoffs at the stanford headquarters are expected tomorrow unfortunately while inquiring about whether there would also be talent releases we were told by a wwe source that quote major cuts are expected to the wwe main roster and the nxt brand we were not explicitly told that the cuts would be coming tomorrow but we're told that they have been planned for some time which you know i, well, I guess we all kind of knew that but i guess that, it, yeah it, yeah, yeah. It, I, I mean that's not a major surprise you know um I, I, i've been having a conversation with 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 a wrestler and then and, and uh over the last couple of weeks just talking about the future and where all these moving parts are going and what their future would look like and whatnot. And I'm like, and my, my advice has been, you have to let this merger happen and oh, see yeah. how this all shakes out before yeah. you make any career decisions or anything, because this is going to change everything for everyone. You know, if, if they go through and make massive talent cuts and then, you know, and then from there we have to see if this new company is aggressive in signing free agent talents, it can, ch- it could revert the pay scale again, because if this new company doesn't show interest in major pro wrestling free agents, right? And instead chooses to just use the performance center and NXT to sort of develop this, continue to develop new waves of, of television presentable stars and just do it that way. Cause it's cheaper and more efficient. And I'm not even sure that is cheaper and more efficient to house 200 wrestlers in the performance center with, a low success rate first of all many of them don't even make nxt and then what percentage of the ones that make nxt make it to the main roster and then what percentage of those people end up being money drawing stars right right it's like you start with 200 people and and you know you might end up with one or two that are useful by the end of that process so i'm not but but that's a completely different discussion for another day um but we don't know how they're going to handle any of these things you know and i guess when when they when they do make their first wave of talent cuts we'll see what type of talent they're prioritizing. You know, who are they going to cut? Are they going to cut? Like, typically the McMahons would cut from the bottom of the roster. Right. Right. We kind of had a feel for who would go. It's like, oh, God, who hasn't been on TV in three months? They're in danger. You know what I mean? 
And maybe this round of cuts will be that. Maybe maybe what I just said is something. Maybe someone from TKO is looking at the way WWE does things. And they're saying, why are we paying 222-year-olds that are never going to make it? We need to, you know, they might rip apart the whole, the whole fucking game plan. They might get rid of. You know, so the cuts might come from the bottom. Right, and, and would be pretty come. justified, <laughs> to be honest. We've talked about the Performance Center for a while. That if to the outside world, if you if you described what the Performance Center does and, and what it's you know what the result of it has been, you would say, "What are we doing? This is an insane amount of money that we're spending." And and who do we have that? Like, what is this? What 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 have we gotten out of this? Like, it's you know, and people yeah. bring up like six people. They're like, "Oh yeah, but what about this person? And what about that person?" It's like they've housed two hundred people in that that million dollar facility for years for a decade and you're going to come up with the same six names over and over again that's not good the same six names and you can't even necessarily quantify any of them as legitimate draws right <laughs> like 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 okay i like bianca belair as much as you do and as much as all of our listeners do would this company be in any different position whatsoever if she never no. existed no and it's like those are the kind of names that come up and that's no disrespect to bianca belair but what difference making star have they you well, yeah know, i think I, it, it, it speaks to the fact that she's probably one of the best success stories of a off the street person you know through college athletics that we brought in through the pc that has then you know risen to the ranks of being you know of, of exhibit a of a very good person on our roster and somebody that can that, that can main event wrestlemania all that sort of stuff but she's the best example by far and it's like well, that's not good because she like you said she is not a bona fide i mean this is supposed to be a star making machine and it uh it, it kind of spits been. out a star or so, yeah, a, a, a star with like, you know, a, a, a lowercase s like once every five years. That's not good. That's not that's not. And so some of that might even kind of be by design because they want the brand to draw. But look, here's the point. We don't know if they're going to cut from the bottom. We don't know if they're going to cut from the very bottom, meaning all the people in the PC. We don't know if they're going to cut from close to the top. What we do know is they're not going to cut the top. You're not going to see Roman Reigns or Seth Rollins or people like that. I'd be stunned. It just fucking floored because that doesn't even follow the UFC model. They keep the tippy tippy top right, stars, right. Uh, you know, but maybe they're going to cut from that next level. Maybe they're looking at the books and saying, do we really need the Miz and Dolph Ziggler making seven figures when they contribute nothing? You know, so maybe it'll be that level of person who goes and that's kind of the level of UFC, uh, you know, athlete that they have kind of been nonplussed about when it came time to renew contracts you know those are the ones they let go to bellator like that kind of you know level star so i don't know we have to see what type of cuts they make when they make the cuts um you know do i think that their roster is 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 bloated it it probably is i mean let's be honest they 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 have way too many oh, people God, yes. under contract yeah. um you know i understand they have you know, three, you know, uh, what is it? Uh, three, six hours of TV and uh, six and a half. You want to throw in level up, uh, you know, and I get all that. But look, we don't know how these people are going to look at things. And again, the McMahons are no longer, you know, Vince McMahon is no longer technically, um, you know, in control. He can be overruled now, you know, and, and that's that's going to be a that's kind I, of I have that on my notes remember. is like, how is Vince going to handle him making a decision and being told no? Because that has never happened before, and when it did get, when that did happen, the one time basically, he threw a bunch of board members out, 
installed his you know clown car of, of pawns and then got his answer got exactly what he wanted you know back into power basically got it so the one time he was told no he basically forced his way into everybody saying yes eventually uh for him coming back so like other than that, but like this is now a real situation where he could be told no and has really no leg to stand on if enough people in that room say no and there's some powerful people in that room. There's a lot of big egos. Vince has always been big man on campus, you know, old sweat, you know, with the big chest and the, the McMahon walk and all that sort of stuff. Dude, you're in there with Dana White, with Ari Emanuel, with Nick Khan. Like, you're in there with some dogs, yeah. man. You know I, what I you mean? Know, the, like the UFC, the UFC side, like, aren't, aren't ever going to get involved. But your point stands. Like, the, the TKO. But yeah. You know, someone in the chat makes a great point. You know, Vince already fired, like, a dozen of these people. And Levesque brought them back. <laughs> right. And not a single one of them is doing anything meaningful. Oh, all of those guys are gone. Back. Yeah, that Infinity Stone so it's is like, gone. Yeah, so you'd have to think that there, there'd be, you know, a lot of people that they view as being very easily um, expendable if there's going to be some talent cuts. If if this Hausman, whoever he talked to, uh, uh, whoever whoever his source was, is to be believed in these cuts are coming. Um, you know, I don't know just from a PR standpoint, if I were running things, I don't know if I'd want to do, I don't know if I'd want to cut 150 talents on the same day that I have a bloodletting in my office. <laughs> right. You might want to space it out, but I wait a couple months. You know, I, I don't know. I, but it's... we're, we're, I mean, we're big boy business now, man. We're corporate conglomerates at this point. You know what I mean? Like I agree, but does it matter? Yeah, yeah, really, it doesn't. I mean, you know, you are they going to get one billion dollars less in their TV deal because they did this? No, they're not going to get a nickel less on their TV. Because guess what they're going to say is, yeah, we fired two hundred people, but guess what, TV executives? You know how you don't have any television shows right now because all everybody's on strike, and you know how you had a pandemic and people went away. Well, guess who never takes a week off for a pandemic? Guess who never takes a week off because of a strike? Guess who can't have their talent take a strike? Both of our companies. So hey, any investors and the investors aren't going to care. No, the investors aren't going to. Nobody's going to so, care about public perception. Doesn't fucking matter for a conglomerate like this. You know, you're right. I mean, I, you know, I was looking at the PR aspect of it, but you know, maybe maybe we do have a extremely newsworthy day from that standpoint. They're a publicly traded company. That stock would go up if they if they said, "Hey, we've reduced costs by uh, X, X million amount. dollars." Yeah. That stock's going to go up because people are going to say, "Ah, that's a lean operation. I like that." You know what I mean? Like we're not we're not talking about like you know mom and pop business. This ain't a family business anymore. It's a conglomerate. Yeah, yeah, and you know, if they do cut talent. You know, a lot of those people will land on their feet. There'll be an influx of talent um, onto the scene. You could be sure that AEW will be scraping through the pile to look for some useful parts. And then it goes down from there. You know, New Japan, uh, you know, uh, would get that it, it would get the next crack at them. And then you're talking about places like Impact and NWA and MLW and, um, you know, Wrestling Noah. And you go right down the line and, um, you know, it would kind of restock the pond from that standpoint in terms of uh, other promotions benefiting from any potential talent cuts that WWE makes. Um, you know, and and I guess we cross that bridge when we get to it. it, it I, I do think even before the Hausman report, I mean, you know, you figured at some point that was going to come. Oh, for sure. It, uh, and it, it feels like this company, too, with, with the, the ability that they're going to have moving forward, especially financially, that they can probably let a lot of these people go. And, and let them go do whatever they wanted to, because if they ever do need to bring any of these bu people back or want to bring anybody back, they're going to be able to offer 
most likely more money than most people too. So it's like, you know, you don't, you don't need to keep these people on your books and pay them every single month or whatever, pay them every single week to sit backstage and not do anything. But if you do want to bring a Dolph Ziggler back, like it's not impossible to just say, Hey Dolph, we want you back. Here's X money. And he'll go, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And he'll come back. You know what I mean? Like that, that, that to me, that's probably the strategy that I would employ if I was in charge of this company is say, we can compete for all these people, you know, financially, you know, as long as they're not locked into contracts or locked into, you know, X amount of year deals, we can let all these guys go because you know what, if we do ever want any of these dudes, we can just call them back and, and they're probably going to come and, and, and work for us yeah. again anyway. Yeah. And you know, Dakota Jones in the chat makes a great point. Uh, and I quote, Vince literally said previously, as a publicly traded company, he liked it because he could fire people for whatever reason. Didn't matter if they had kids or cancer. Yep. He said that. I believe that was on the McAfee. Yep. Uh, and now interview. he's even more insulated. That's that's when it was his company. Now it's not even, quote unquote, his right. company anymore. Right. And, you know, he, he said that partially in jest. <laughs> but. But it was more of kind of a ribbing on the square kind of thing. Like he he meant it. Yeah, he it meant was it. Also, you know, and 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 um. And so I mean, you're right. I, I I actually feel a little foolish for looking at it from a PR standpoint because there's no need for PR. Uh, you know, at that at that stage. So yeah, this is um. This is you know it's 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 a whole new world. It's a whole new world, and we're gonna have to see how it shakes out. And, and but but a point that I never completely fully articulated was this could be bad for established free agent wrestlers now in terms of leverage if they do take on a model where they're not going to be in the market as aggressively for free agents as they were in the past because then tony khan doesn't need to be as aggressive in keeping talent that he has where the clock is ticking on them or and tony khan doesn't have to be as aggressive in making offers to outside free agents that both sides are bidding for whether it's a Will Ospreay coming up this winter, which, by the way, do not count out WWE when it comes. I know everyone think, seems to think Will Ospreay is just making a clean jump from New Japan to AEW, or he's using AEW for leverage and he wants to continue living part of the time in Japan. I'm telling you right now, do not discount WWE as a possibility for Will Ospreay. I meant to bring this up a couple of weeks ago. There's a lot of factors here at play, and I don't want to get too far off and I, I promise I'm going to finish the point I've been trying to make for 10 minutes but you know he's he's on he's he's 30 years old now okay and we all know what happens sometimes when these guys hit 30 and they you know their 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 creative juices aren't flowing as much and they start looking at their bank accounts and wrestling becomes less of an artistic endeavor and more of a okay how can I set myself up and and my family for their future sort of endeavor he apparently is in madly in love with this new love of his life. He's taken on a stepchild. He's doing a lot of talking about making sure that that kid is taken care of. And um, I would not discount WWE. There's apparently a ton of chatter in the locker rooms over in Europe that, you know, this this NXT or WWE Europe thing that they keep talking about, it, it, wanting to make Will Ospreay the centerpiece of it. And it would allow Will Ospreay to, to live at home with this new family of his and make top line money and be the centerpiece of whatever. That's in play. You, you ha that absolutely is in play, you know. And and uh, you know, and 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 he's been complimentary towards all the companies. He's been complimentary towards W. Well, it'd be smart. That's well, smart business. Be. That's you smart know, business. That's even, if you, do, even, even if you, even if you, in your head, are one hundred percent set on going somewhere. 
there's no point in saying I'm 100 percent on going somewhere. You got to take a meeting. You know what I mean? Like we we always bring up one of the great examples of that was Randy Orton on Twitter going to the Jaguar Stadium and putting posting a photo of him next to Tony Khan's office with a finger point at Tony Khan's faceplate or whatever his nameplate in the office. Now there was a zero percent chance that Randy Orton was going to leave WWE, but you bet your ass that WWE said, "Ah, shit! All right, fine. Here, here's X amount more money." The guy made more money by doing that. That one photo, that one visit. The ah, uh, you know, I I did talk to Tony Khan. All right, Randy, here you go. Here's you know, everything you wanted. Fine. Like you got to do that. Like you have to do that. So if you're willing, you're 100 percent set on on either party, whether it be 100 percent on AEW or whatever, you still have to entertain the idea of going to the other place too to get that money to to to, to leverage the most out of it. That's just smart business. Absolutely. That's what a healthy yeah, wrestling ecosystem no is <laughs> like this is good that's yeah. good for the wrestling business that you could do that and circling back that could go away is my point yeah that could go away if wwe becomes less aggressive for free agents tony khan's not going to bid against himself okay now your tippy tippy top free agents they're still going to be you know obviously that's a different story you know but that next level down he may not he's not going to bid against himself so um th- that was that was the point i attempted to start that i started making 10 minutes ago is we don't know that it could shake out to where that goes away too and sort of this fruitful period you know the elite their deals came up at just the right time you know and 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 they apparently got these amazing deals these life-changing deals because tony khan absolutely could not afford to lose them right now you know to wwe so he had to do whatever it took to keep them in the fold and again, who knows if they were serious about leaving? But you had to take it seriously. Yeah. And you, you gotta you, you gotta pay them above and beyond to make sure that they stay. So, um, so we keep an eye on that too. I mean, you know, um, that, that that's another factor. So, um, what what I think you know, one more one more thing about TKO, and then we can kind of move on to other uh, things is is we're also in a weird thing where now UFC business very much affects WWE business. And there's a lot of positives to that. The positives are, and they've already been talking about them. They've been doing the media rounds everywhere and say, well, now we have entertainment weekends where, yeah, you, we can combine UFC and WWE. And instead of competing against each other, we can work with each other. So come to Las Vegas this weekend, because on Saturday, you got a UFC show. And on Sunday, you got a WWE pay-per-view or whatever it may be. You know what I mean? Like they, they can now work together in that sense. And, and, and cities can now bid to have, you know, combat sports weekends where UFC comes into town and WWE comes into town. And then there was, you know, a lot of talk about well WWE fans and UFC fans can be one and the same and Dana White laughed off. <laughs> he was like eh, I don't think that's gonna happen but okay so you, you had that but you know they were, they were talking a good game about that of how oh we're gonna sit you know the synergy between the two fan bases or whatever but I will say though there's a negative aspect to that as well that you know UFC in April has a pretty big antitrust lawsuit that could come to a head about them and how they're paying fighters and how fighters are are you know classified and all that sort of stuff and and you know stuff that goes wrong in ufc is going to affect WWE in a lot of ways it's like they they are no longer this kind of siloed business that they were for all these many years where they were kind of able to do all their own thing and, and able to be you know mr mcmahon used to run it was all going through him and he made all the decisions and everything that you know the good and the bad and everything all came kind of through vince mcmahon that is not the case anymore now it's like you know, some bad thing can happen in UFC and that's going to affect WWE. Some some bad thing can happen in WWE and it affects UFC. Like, it, it's it's an interesting spot that we're in. And I, I have no idea how it's going to shake out. I have no idea what, you know, what, what's coming ahead or anything like that. But it's, it's I don't know, to me, it's like, it, it's fascinating that, yeah, now there is, you know, the, the idea that, you know, uh, uh, some sort of controversy or a lawsuit in UFC 
can be, you know, have a huge negative effect on WWE, which just seems wild, but it, it's true that they're all, it's all under one thing and, and some bad business move by one party can, can affect the other party. It's, it's what we have here. You know, these conglomerates, it doesn't always, you know, the success rate for, you know, these sort of things coming together is not always great. You know, big giant corporate mergers, uh, the history, not, not, not super kind to a lot of those. So I, I think we have to, you know, keep that in mind as well as we're looking at, oh man, like this is a perfect synergy of these two companies. You know, people said that about every merger in history and I've lived through several other ones as well. I've lived through obviously AOL Time Warner, the, 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 probably the worst merger of all time, like one of the most iconically awful mergers of all time. But like, yeah, there's several throughout my lifetime where it seemed like, oh man, this is a perfect, you know, confluence of these two companies. And it ends up being, you know, these two completely different companies can't work together or something's wrong on this side and it tanks the other side, which tanks the whole company. Like we got to also think of this is good for a lot of reasons, but it could also be bad for a lot of reasons too. And it's just, it's different. It's just completely different than what this WWE business has been for its entire history, for all of our lifetimes, completely different. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I don't know if it's uh, a time Warner. No. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Not quite Tomorrow sure. could be a very historical day Yeah, for, for the wrong, for bad reasons. You know, it could be a historically ugly day. Uh, you know, when, when we might see a historical level of people lose their jobs, both behind the camera and in front of it. So we'll yeah. see. Yeah, keep an eye out for that. So, uh, that is TKO group holdings. Uh, that is, uh, keep an eye on them obviously. And then keep an eye on tomorrow, uh, presumed many, many office cuts. And then, yeah, we don't know about the talent cuts probably coming. Uh, very soon as well, but let's talk about WWE business itself. Uh, this week, uh, we'll start with raw which uh, this week's Raw was the least watched episode of Raw in history. The only one worse, which doesn't really count, I don't think, was a non-live best of show on December 26th last year. So whatever caveat you want to put on it, this week's Raw was the worst ever, least watched live episode of Raw, episode of Raw, first run episode of Raw, actual earnest episode of Raw, whatever you want to call it. The only other one worse, best of show. Uh, not live on December 26th last year. So it had uh, 1,000 or 1 million, sorry, 1, 000, that'd be real bad. <laughs> 1 million, uh, 353,000 viewers on average. Uh, and then the 18 to 49 demo, a 0. 0.40. That was down 21% uh, week over week in total viewership and 22% in uh, 18 to 49 viewership uh, from last week's uh, 0. 0.52. Uh, and obviously this was up against one of the most anticipated Monday night football games in quite some time, the bills versus jets with Aaron Rodgers, uh, Aaron Rodgers, uh, jet debut, which of course then got thrown in, 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 you know, in all different directions when he got hurt, you know, what, four plays into the game towards Achilles. And then that, yeah. I think either, if you weren't watching it, you probably then <coughs> decided, shit, maybe I should go check this thing out and see what's going to happen here or whatever. So it, it delivered huge. It had 22.6 million viewers uh, across ABC, ESPN, ESPN2, one of the most watched uh, Monday Night Football games of all time as well. But with that said, like, yeah, football always comes. There's big games all the time. Yeah, Bills, Jets was a big game. It still doesn't, you know, football comes around every single year. It does not cloud the fact that this was the least watched episode of Raw in history, which I think is is. Big, big news, even against that really monster NFL uh, number, the Monday Night Football number. Yeah, two things. Number one, yes, it was a monster football game. And, I, I you know, a lot of people were saying, oh, when Rodgers got hurt, uh, people tuned out. I disagree. I thought the game became more intriguing. 
when when Rod. I'll tell you, as one person who tuned in, me, because I was like, well, hold on a minute, what's going on here? When I heard that he was hurt, I was like, well, is he coming back? Is he out for the game? So I tuned in to kind of get the news. It was like you were watching the live news broadcast as well as the football game at the same time. It was a cultural event, is what it was. It was this completely absurd, all of this built up hype for one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time switching teams. He gets hurt on the first series. That's something that I think helped the number, not hurt it. And then the game was close the rest of the way, and it was a story unfolding. Are the Jets somehow going to overcome this, and is Josh Allen going to continue to shit his own pants in front of the world and somehow lose this game for the Bills? So to me, it it actually helped the number. Uh, It probably helped the number, in my view. But um, that aside, that it was this monster, you know, number that they did, that to me – does not wipe away the fact that raw did the uh did their their lowest viewership total of all time on on usa network because um look if 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 they would have done a bad number if they would have done 1.5 million or something or if they were down like you know uh, an enormous chunk yeah then you could say all right it was the football game but this was the worst number they've ever done i'm sorry i can't hand wave that because ever is ever did a big number ever is ever ever is ever and football comes every year and they know when it's coming and I'm sorry, you know, and they, they tried to counter program it. They tried to counter program it with Jay Uso making his raw debut, our humorous bit last week aside, you know, <laughs> and, and they tried to do some things to counter it. And Jay Uso made obviously no difference whatsoever. Um, and they got fucking slaughtered. And here's point number two, why I think it's meaningful. And there's something to look at here. Um, in total viewership, through how many Mondays have there been in the month of September? Not too many. Two. Two months. Two, uh, two, yeah. Two the fourth and the, and the 11th. This, is, this was now the fourth straight week that Raw was down year over year. They're down 13% in September in total viewership. They were down 16% in August in total viewership year over year. So there are trends at play here when it comes to Monday Night Raw that played out in conjunction with the debut of Monday Night Football and this and this Aaron Rodgers deal. Okay? They were down in August. 16%. They were they're down year to date now in September 13%. They just did their lowest number ever. Um in 18 to 49 in August they were down 4%. And in September now they're down 4% in 18 to 49. Smackdown so far in September, I think through two shows. Am I correct on that? Let me look at the calendar again. Yes, the 1st and the 8th. Through two shows, SmackDown is flat year over year. And SmackDown has been up double digits for fucking who knows how long. Right. They've had great there momentum. Are, They've had great momentum until recently. Until this until very recently. It started with Raw. It has now uh continued with SmackDown. There is a noticeable ratings decline that cannot just be hand waved or blamed on the football game this week. And I, I, I got to tell you, I am taking this back to SummerSlam. I talked about it at the time. I genuinely feel like that main event with Jey Uso and Roman Reigns that got, you know, the finish was when when the most hardcore WWE fans are even saying, now, wait a minute, is this story going anywhere? I sensed a real turn with SummerSlam. I really did when it comes to the bloodline. And people kind of saying, ah, yeah, this really just isn't going. Plus, Roman hasn't been around. 
since then. The most hardcore, ardent WWE fans and pundits have even begun, at that point, began to question the storyline and whether there really was a master plan. They really dropped the ball that night, I think, and they lost a lot of people. People that you never thought they could lose. Well, you can only and miss. I, they, I mean, they didn't strike when the iron was hot three times. It's like you only uh, we. How many chances you get to miss? They're right. There felt yeah. like there had to be an expiration on that at some point. Yeah. So, uh, you know that that's to me. I, I point at that. I think you know it, it's that was the point where I think the bloodline. We're going to look back at that as the point of the bloodline where it was people finally are now. Now, look, I think they know it, too, which is why they are trying to kind of speed run. Um, what's uh, what's Finn Balor's judgment day, judgment work. day, They're trying to speed run judgment day into the mix now and kind of recreate it all over again. Right. And I, so I, I think they even recognize that the bloodline is kind of on the precipice maybe of an enormous crossroads. Okay. And you know, the ratings are starting to reflect that on, on both shows now. So, um, you know, that's my take on the raw rating. I think it's very easy to hand wave it based on the Monday night rating. And, and, and I, and I would too, if it would just have been a run of the mill, bad number or the run of the mill drop This is the worst number of all time. When we already had a month of year over year decline. That's the thing. So this just totally followed the trend of what we've been seeing. Since right. August. I think a lot of people would be surprised by that if you said that, you know, because people think of WWE as like this red hot, you know, company. And and for a while it was. But, yeah, the year over year is not good. They're down year over year. And the, and the trend, like you said, is and, and you kind of laid out there. I think people would be surprised that that year over year is you know, we're, we're, we're seeing a legit, you know, you can go look at the graphs, you can look at it, and it is, yeah, year over year, they're, they're down. They're, they're, they're not doing as good as they were doing last year, which seems wild because it does seem like a red-hot company. And live attendance is fucking insane for them right now. The, the sma- they're doing a SmackDown this week in Denver. I, I noticed this when we were talking about WWE, uh, or AEW ticket sales, I should say. They're doing a SmackDown, I believe, in Denver this week that's got like 13,000 tickets out already for it. For a SmackDown. And AEW is like, yeah, we're going to present a pay-per-view from Seattle. It's like, yeah, we'll put 6,000 tickets on sale and see what happens. And they have like four. You know what I mean? 4,000 tickets are sold right now. You know, And they're only setting the building up for six. And they got 13,000 for a SmackDown, for God's sakes, coming up in the yeah. next couple of days. I mean, it's insane. So they are hot in a lot of ways. But those ratings, I mean, don't, don't. It's not 100%. It's not red hot, molten hot, crazy hot like they were. They were. They were for quite a, quite a number of months. Year-over-year growth, live attendance growth. Ratings bonanza, YouTube view, any any metric you wanted to say, WWE was was hot as hell, hot as hell. You know, but... it was, and, it, it, and it was SmackDown more than Raw, right? Okay, I, I'll give you Raw for the past year. We'll start with September 2022, and this is year over year. I'll give you the year over year total viewership. Okay, for Raw, starting with September 22, and right on through to September 23, flat, flat, flat. Down 8%, up 8%, up 4%, down 1%, up 8%, up 4%, down 4%, up 4%, and then the last two months that I outlined already, down 16%, and month-to-date September, down 13%. Yeah. 
a SmackDown over that period, I'm not going to read all the numbers again, like Mike Francesa, but essentially double digit up or close to it. Um, all of those months up 11% in July, up 11% in August and month to date with two shows in the books. SmackDown is now flat. Again, year over year. So you can't even just point to football or anything else because football is every year. So I don't know. I just, I, I felt it that night when I saw some of the reactions to that SummerSlam and main event angle and all of that, that some people finally just groaned and said, ah, all right, this is just the same old shit over and over again. And, and it's, there's nothing special about this that they're building to. They're just stringing us along until it fucking runs out of gas, which is exactly what they're doing. And like you said, missing several opportunities to really take it in another direction. It, you know, it really hammers home. They really should have put that fucking title on Cody. <laughs> we'll say because, that till the end of time. I don't want to hear it. Even if he wins yeah. it at WrestleMania, I don't want to hear it. They they had a golden. There's never they had it perfectly. The guy came back from injury, won the Royal Rumble. The story was that he was going to finish the story. The Usos were, were fracturing. The bloodline was fracturing. Everything was perfect for Cody to just fucking win that thing. The bloodline story is the same bloodline story without the title. Cody and Brock is better with the title. Everything is better if Cody wins that title. I will. I, yeah. I, I am still to this day. And we came on the air immediately afterwards and just laughed for like 10 minutes because it's like. And you could have done everything you've done since with the bloodline. <laughs> yep. And no, none of their fans would have given because the title doesn't really mean anything to it. The title is the tribal chief. That's the fucking title. Who's the tribal chief? Tribal combat, tribal combat, tribal. That's, that's what matters to these fans. And Cody feels like he has cooled off since then. He does. And maybe if you would have put the title on Cody and had built, and then you wouldn't have had to create the fake title that Seth won. You wouldn't even have to have that, which I think is a net negative. Okay, that thing is a net negative. And I'm not saying that Cody as champion would have remained as hot as he was going in. I think there's a good chance he would have, though, because people wanted that. People wanted Cody to win that match. And then maybe that Brock feud is even hotter than it was because it's for the title. And maybe, I don't even know what the fuck he's doing now. Besides bringing Jay Uso to Raw, the guy who screwed him for the title, <laughs> I don't even know what Cody's point. Like, maybe he could have helped keep things hot while the bloodline cooled off right if he were champion and instead you kept the titles on roman he isn't even around he's not he's even home there play, he's, <laughs> he's home playing with his kids and counting his money good for him he's great great life. gig if you can get it great gig if you can yes get it. and he got it he got the gig okay he's home playing with his kids and fucking his wife and and, and living the life and you know the bloodline's dying on the fucking vine Cody feels cold as ice, and they're trying to. Yeah, Cody quickly. just comes out occasionally. If you haven't watched him lately, he just like kind of comes out, and people are like, "Yeah, Cody," <laughs> and then he just like leaves. You know, what I mean? it's 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 strange. It's it's weird. I know he's comes doing out in his suit. Yeah, the fans go. Dun, dun, Whoa! Dun, dun. You know, <laughs> yeah, 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 people make noises. They do the sing along. Yeah. Whoa! You know, and, you know, because that whole fucking show is nothing but a sing-along. It's a sing-along, yeah. Sometimes and he does stuff with, like, the Judgment Day. He's sort of kind of in the Judgment Day universe at this point, and then he, you know... Is he? Sort of, yeah. He's kind of... I don't know what he's doing. I He brought Jey Uso to Raw when he should want <laughs> Jey Uso dead. Like, why would he be happy about that? Um. Anyway, it would have been... I think it would have been benefit. Now, you don't know. You know, maybe... 
he wins the title and then people are over him because it's like, all right, well, we told his story. I don't know, but I think it, I don't think anything fundamentally would have changed with the bloodline. I really feel like that was a mistake. And then, uh, you know, the bloodline still remains hot after that, but that SummerSlam that they lost a lot of people with that. And at least with the television ratings uh, year over year, it's starting to reflect. So, um, you know, we see, and you know, NXT obviously Becky Lynch. Maybe it is big time Bex, huh? What a what? Yeah, what a ratings ratings the, uh... Rebecca here is what I think that's what she said on Twitter. Uh, one of their best ratings ever was watched by eight hundred and fifty thousand people on average on a point two six in the eighteen to forty nine demo. Uh, that is their highest uh, overall viewership since October twentieth, twenty twenty, and the highest eighteen to forty nine since September first. Uh, 2020 that's up 26 percent compared to last week's total viewership number and up 46 percent in 18 to 49 that was doubled their 18 to 49 viewership uh week over week uh, and i believe it was over a million people watching the match uh as they did the overrun with becky uh and stratton there so just wild wild stuff and and their trends nxt's trends are huge up year over year 49 percent growth in the 18 to 49 in august uh, uh, sorry, in July, 32% in August, and now 43% so far in September. Yeah, and you could even go back further than that. You know, really starting with last April, it's been all double-digit growth in 18 to 49, 14%, 23%, 30%. You gave the other numbers. Um, NXT has really done a great job capturing the 18 to 49. Now, I do think some of what's happening with NXT is smoke and mirrors in that they are u- utilizing a lot of main roster talent. We've yeah. talked about this. And then when the main roster talent goes away, the numbers kind of normalize again. So it's not as if it's creating people who stick around and, you know, then they bring the main roster talent back like they did this week. I think the, the overrun of Becky's match did well over a million viewers, yeah. which, and, and, and NXT put up a number, which, you know, that, you know, 850,000.26. I mean, you're talking low level dynamite range. I mean, they had an outside shot of beating dynamite in total viewership. You know, demo was going to be a challenge because dynamite's been around 0.3 lately, but 0.26 is, wasn't, you know, a bad dynamite can do a 0.26. I mean, that's not impossible. And a lot of the down card demos, they had a real good chance of, uh, of catching. Now, NX, now, AEW ended up doing a really good number. You have the AEW number in front of you? Uh, I don't, but I can get it. So let me get it up. Yeah, now Dynamite ended up doing, I think, 880,000 and a point three one or a point three two. Uh, Rich will have it in a second. Yeah, let me the get exact it. Number, so. me one um, moment. So Dynamite did hold off NXT from that standpoint, but NXT made it, you know, when that number came out, it, it, it was like, all right, this is going to be uncomfortably close right. for dynamite this week and, 880 you know, uh 888,000 viewers uh 0. 0.31 in the 1849 okay so you know and so they and i'm sure i haven't seen all of the down card demos but i'm sure they held them off and all most if not all of them as well but um but look they're going head to head in a couple weeks they are and and i don't know if a lot of people realize that october 10th i believe is the date right yeah there's some shit um uh, moving around some moving parts with um, with some baseball playoffs, I think, and whatnot, it, because it's dynamite moving days, right? Not NXT. It's dynamite moving to Tuesday. Right, right. And so they're going head to head on Tuesday. Yeah, the, Tuesday, October 10th. Yeah, that, that is the date that they're, they're doing head to head where because, yeah, baseball playoffs are happening. So they're moving dynamite to a Tuesday 
going head to head with NXT October 10th. You know, I had somebody send me this. They don't want to be named, but they made a pretty compelling. This is kind of off the beaten path, but I thought it was interesting and I want your take on this. Okay. Um, someone in and around the business sent me this and and asked to to please remain anonymous. Uh, so this person says that go it's, it's all gonna make sense. So stick with me. This person says they understood mox over orange cassidy it all out okay um but the gist of it is you know it's mox but in thinking about it maybe it would have been better to have orange cassidy win that match really cement him as a top guy by beating mox completely against the odds with his body broken down and all of that and maybe that would have been a chance to really make orange cassidy if he wins that match and you probably don't know where this is going, and I didn't either. But then you look, Orange Cassidy's title reign at that point was at 326 days, right? He won the belt on October 12, 2022. If he would have beaten Mox, AW could have built up to another big challenger. Take your pick. Pick a top guy. To face Orange Cassidy on the dynamite, that comes right before Orange Cassidy reaches one year, which would have been October 10th. The night that AEW goes head-to-head with NXT. So that's actually a really good thought. Like, they could have had Orange Cassidy beat Mox and then spend a month and a half or whatever it is building up another main event challenger for him with the idea of being, can he survive again and hold this title for a year? And you, and, and you had the perfect time to peak it when you're going to be in this, you know, both shows are going to be all loaded up trying to beat each other on the 10th. So I thought it was an interesting thought. Like what, what, what do you think about that booking? Yeah, I, I don't hate it. I, I, I don't hate it. Cause Mox can eat that loss. That's not that big of a deal. It does seem <laughs> the problem with a lot of the stuff going on in AEW right now is that you're building so many things that to me, it seems impossible the way that that company is booked and the way that that company is thought. And honestly, what they have ahead of them that you are now talking about, okay, we need to book what six major shows ahead of time at this point, because you're, you're saying, all right, we got to think ahead to all out where Cassidy is going to win. And then we got to think about what he's going to do at grand slam. And then we got to think about what he's doing at wrestle dream. And then we could think about what he's going to do. You know what I mean? Like there's so many shows and so many big shows that they're trying to build at the, at, at the same time that I don't think it's a bad idea, but I also think that maybe you're, you would have to, I don't know. I, I wonder if it would feel too, like, it, it, like maybe they didn't, they didn't choose the right time. Like all that felt like the right time, honestly, all that felt like the culmination of a very good run for Cassidy. He was breaking down little by little. I do wonder if it maybe would have gotten a little more long in the tooth. If we had another month of it going on, like, I don't think it's a bad idea, but I also, I think it's easier said than done, especially with I, four major shows all in front of this well, October 10th okay, show. Well, listen, if you're going to book four major shows in that short period of time, shouldn't you have a plan for all of them? Uh, to Joe, I agree. <laughs> Stop yelling at now, me. I agree. So, yes. So let's set let's set this Orange Cassidy deal and peaking it for October 10th aside. Isn't this the kind of thinking they need to have in that room? Absolutely. Even if you don't love this idea in particular. No, I, I, I like that idea. The problem is I can't wrap my head around this company doing that idea right now because you have to think four, five, six steps ahead of times. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, I can't even wrap my head around them thinking 
at all in, okay, well, we're going to have Cassidy do this and then this and then this and then this and then this, and then it's going to lead to October 10th or whatever. You know what I mean? Like that. Let me, let me ask you this. Would you be skeptical, skeptical that the company can think like, can think like chess instead of checkers if I had proposed this in 2020? Oh, they absolutely so would have. Yeah, a, no, for sure. They would have done something like this. You wouldn't have questioned it. No, you would have said, absolutely. Oh, yeah. 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 kind of speaks kind of to the idea. You know, now, now I will say this, and I said this behind the paywall today. I do think the booking in AEW has been way more focused oh, coming yeah. out of the two. Oh, yeah, groups. yeah. After All Out, things have felt a lot better, a lot better booking-wise. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, 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 we do have to say that, but I, I didn't want to take this ratings talk completely off the track, but that was something that I thought of that um, played into, you know, the head to head that we're going to have on the 10th, which, you know, both sides are going to downplay that, but they both want to kick the other side's ass. That right. And NXT will try like hell. I don't know. I, you know, I don't know if AEW is going to try. I, I don't know. I would assume they would, but again, they have five other giant shows to book. Uh, before that, I know NXT is going to yeah. try. There's no reason not I know to. This, I know this sounds defeatist. If I'm con, I might punt it. I'm going to tell you why. If WWE wants to, they'll win that night. Yeah, of course. If they want to win that they'll night. They'll put Roman win. on there or something. Roman Reign re- returns yeah, to NXT. Yeah, Cody Rhodes. Bloodline shit. Cody Rhodes versus, yeah. you know, insert whoever. Yeah, yeah. Th- there's ways. They could they could just have guys show up. You know what I mean? They could just have Roman Reigns is going to talk. You know, Jey Uso and Cody Rhodes are going to face, you know, this tag team or whatever. Like, there's they, they can very easily win that night if they want to. Whereas, I yeah, think AEW. win that night, they'll win that night. And that's kind of my, that's kind of the point I was going to bring up about the Orange Cassidy thing is like, I don't know if I care that much about that night. Like, should they? Maybe. Will they? I don't know. But I feel like that, you know, you're, you're leveraging a lot of stuff. You're changing a lot of stuff that, that right now you're, you're, you're taking away all these Moxley things. You're taking away what you had kind of built that story for of, of Cassidy finally. And you're, 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 you're doing all that and you're having it live through, you know, four different big shows and two pay-per-views and all that sort of stuff. Also that you could, you know, face these guys on NXT on October 10th. Like, that feels defeatist in a lot of ways. That feels like you're punching down a little bit. I would just say, you know what? Do our show. If it happens, fine, whatever. They're going to try like hell to beat them, beat us. Maybe they will beat us. Whatever. Who cares? Go on your I, don't do, even I wouldn't know worry if, about it. I don't even know if WWE has to fully empty the tank to win that night. I mean, I don't think they could put just do a run of the mill NXT. A run of the mill NXT will lose. And oh, lose no, 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 no. It has to have. One but, or two main roster people and and yeah, one big match. But they for don't sure. even have to like empty the fucking barrel. Oh no, I, no, no, to, no, to win that night, not you know. So I don't know. It's um. I thought it was interesting though. So I again, I didn't want to take us off track of uh of the ratings though. But um, but yeah, that's kind of been the NXT model. You know, pump it up. But good look, they got they have a TV deal coming up too. So they want all of these ratings to look as good as possible, and they've really done a great job you know, fluffing up those, those NXT numbers. Now. And, and and I'm going to give them a little bit of credit too, because you know, when they, when they broke down NXT, when, when, when they came in and made the, the rainbow raw, you know, we called it and, and, and got rid of all the older guys and got rid of, you know, anybody that wasn't really drawing much money. Some of those people are main eventing AEW right now. Um, you know, that uh, they got rid of those dudes and said, you know, we don't need these, we're going to, we're going to build this whole thing back up and, 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 
bring it down to the studs and build it up or whatever. And it was rough. It was really rough for a lot of times. A lot of these people were way in over their heads, but I will give them credit that a few of these people, Stratton is, is a great example, who who you know was one of those people that was like thrown out on TV and it's like fucking learn. I don't know. Figure it out. <laughs> and it's like you can't really, you, you know, you, you're, you're raw as hell, but you know what? We're going to see what happens. We'll, we'll throw you out there, see what happens. And, ti- you know, a little over time now, they've kind of rebuilt this where some of those people that they 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 kept on there and said, hey, you're going to learn on the job are getting better. They're progressing. They're they're feeling like, you know, there might be a thing that some of these people now Stratton being the probably the biggest is is is, you know, feels like she could potentially be something in that company. And that was a, you know, again, one of those people that they just threw out there and said, fucking figure it out. You'll you'll do it. But now they're also integrating a little bit more of the workers. You know, you have Ilya Dragon off there a little bit, you know, with post NXT UK, you're able to put some of the workers on there. Then you sprinkle in some of the main roster people. And I think that they've done a pretty good job. Like, I don't like it. <laughs> I think the show fucking sucks, but I, I understand its appeal to people, and I do think that they have done a good job of building that thing back up to a show that has stuff that, you know, it's got young stars. It's got current stars. It's got some decent wrestling. It's got the fucking God awful worst skits you'll ever see. I think the book is atrocious, but I get why it's popular. I get why it's coming back. I get why people have started to kind of invest in it a little bit. And they took a lot of risks. They took a lot of risks, basically stripping it to the studs and saying, fuck it. You know, we, we, we're going to get rid of all these guys, Adam Cole, Roger Strong, Kyle O'Reilly, all these go away. You know what I mean? Samoa Joe hit the bricks. We don't need any of you guys anymore. You were losing anyway. What's the point? And 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 you know yeah they they're not hitting on a hundred percent success rate the with the is, young guys. They don't they don't do good numbers unless they bring in stars though. That's the thing. Well you yeah, know? but but you need to if you want to get those like. Do you think that Tiffany Stratton is better off this week than she was last week? Well, of course. Well, and course. That's, that's so you get people ready to a point where they can now get that rub from a main roster person, which I think Tiffany Stratton absolutely got from Vicky Lynch this last week. Now, I don't know if that yeah. means that yeah. 400,000 people are going to start buying, you know, or, or, or watching the show every single week that weren't going to watch it before because Tiffany Stratton's on there. But I think that little by little, you are going to get more people that say, ah, you know what? Eh, this, this isn't bad. Maybe I will check this out a little bit. One other thing I'll disagree strongly on is I don't understand why people like it. I think it's atrocious in every way. I don't just think it's a bad wrestling show. I think it's like the worst thing on TV. I think NXT is just. The skits are are deplorable. I, I don't have words to describe how bad I think that show is. I, I I think that show is so bad that when I watch it, I get angry. I get angry at how bad that show is. It is awful in every way. I hate that fucking show. I think it's like the worst thing on television, period. It is so bad. Um, I, I know sometimes I go too far, but I have to question people who enjoy it. I have to question you. I, I, it's so bad. I have to question you. Um, so I do disagree. I don't know what, why people like it. The people, I don't understand at all why people enjoy that show. Um, so I will disagree with you there. But, uh, as far as Tiffany Stratton goes, she is a blue chip, a plus plus prospect. There's no question about that. She can be, an enormous star in pro wrestling. I don't know that it's it's a lock or that she's going to be, but she's absolutely an A plus plus blue chip, however you want to define it, uh, uh, prospect in pro wrestling. So uh, that that you know, and, and I think you know, getting the old Becky Lynch rub like you just talked about was very smart from that standpoint. And I think that. You know, she has said many times that she feels like she's not ready for the main roster. And I like hearing stuff like that from people. 
uh, you know, she she recognizes that it, it would be a rush job at this point to put, you know, when you look at NXT's 18 to 34 year over years, I mean, that's who's watching this show. Right. You know, we talked about the 18 to 49, but you look at the younger half of the 18 to 49. Let me read people some numbers, and I'm going to start with February 2023, year over year. This is 18 to 34, and these are all up, obviously. 46%, 76 37%, 81%, 92%, 57%, 79% and 62% up in 18 to 34. Remember when this was a show that only old people watched? Yeah, we laughed that about it. That is not yeah. the case anymore. No, exactly. So all of these really bad skits and the presentation of the wrestlers, they all have their own little fucking cryon, their own individual cryons when they come out with their own fonts and these god awful promos and 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 sketches and this uh, the presentation of the show and it obviously appeals to younger people for some reason that I cannot put my finger on um because the numbers are not lying the number the the, the year over year increases are enormous so I understand like you say you understand what people like about it so what do you think it is i mean uh, is I it, think is it tapping into young culture. In I some think it way? is. Like what? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm not the probably not the best person to talk about it, but I think the the very bright colors, the over the top characters, the stuff that I fucking cannot stand. I think a lot of people like. I, I think there's a lot of very attractive people on that show that has been that was clearly something that they wanted to do when they when they stripped down NXT and said we're going you know Rainbow Raw type of thing. We're going with the you know the NXT 2.0 or whatever. It was clear that hey, if you're hot, particularly if you're a hot woman, you were going to get pushed very highly on that. So I think that plays a big part in it as well. And I think yeah, it's like it 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 feels like a teenage show in a lot of ways. It's like super weirdly attractive people. Like not, not in like, not in like they're weirdly attractive. You know what I mean? Like where you're like, ah, I think that, I guess that person's good looking. I don't know if I like that person. Like even a Tiffany Stratton, who I know a lot of people are like, Oh my God, she, I like, I does nothing for me whatsoever, but I get why she's like traditionally hot. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's conventionally that pla- attractive. Yeah. Like a conventionally attractive person. I wouldn't, if you were like Tiffany Stratton's hot, I'm not going to be like, oh, I don't think so. I'm like, yeah, all right. It doesn't work for me, but I get it. I understand it. Conventionally attractive. Pe- so I think that show is filled with conventionally attractive people, bright lights, over the top characters. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I, it's, there's something there. There's clearly is something there that's getting these people to want to watch it. And yeah, it's gotta be something like that. Cause I look at the show and, and I hate everything about it, but I think there's enough there with, you know, attractive people and over the top characters and a lot of yelling and, and colors and lights and stuff. I think it's, it's clearly working. I mean, look at those numbers. Well, it's working. The, well, the younger half of the 18 to 49 is carrying it the, because when you look at those numbers, obviously they're not up nearly to that extent, uh, you know, 35 to 49. And I think the show is down 50 plus or, and, and outside of 18 to 49 period. So, you know, kids and, and olds, I think the show is actually down a lot of these months so it it the show annoys a lot of people and has run them off it is like because the total viewership isn't really any different than it used to be it's just different people watching right you know it it, is the simplest way to put it and you know you'd rather have younger people watching for a million different reasons not even just for television reasons but for pro wrestling reasons you'd rather make a lifetime fan out of a 22 year old than a 52 year old you know, because you're going to get 60 years of, 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 you know, 
you know, everyone, you know, it's obvious what I'm saying here. So, right. um, you know, yeah, so that's, yeah, that's kind of, but again, I, I, that's why you can't chalk all of it up to here's a main roster star this week because the long-term trends with the younger end of that. Right. That, that's getting to the next level. That's kicking them into another gear, but they're, 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 they're doing well without those people. They're, they're, they're increasing with those people are now kicking it into an, Oh my God, this is a number to take, you know, th- take notice of. There was that Seth Rollins number a couple of months ago where it was like, whoa, hold on a minute. That's a pretty big number they got there. And now there's this Becky number. When that came around, people were floored. People were like, holy shit. Like there, there was that re- a real, real conversation that like, oh, my God, they might. I mean, it's unlikely that they're going to do it. But there's not as there's a non-zero chance that they could beat NX, or, uh, AEW in the demo this week. From from that, you know, Becky Lynch, Tiffany Stratton rating. And obviously it did not happen. And they were still. And it didn't you know, happen. But they yeah, were still pretty far possible. away. But like. It was like the for the first time in a very, very, very long time, it was like, oh, my God, they might kind of, sort of, they're in the same universe. And it did not feel like that uh, two years ago, a year ago, it did not feel like NXT had any cho- chance of being in the same universe. So much so that this company said, this thing is fucking failing and we have to stop or whatever we were doing because it's just not worth it. They did that. Two years ago, they said, this shit sucks. We're getting destroyed. We got to change things. And I don't know if yeah. it's. 100% because of that. I don't know if it's because of, of I don't know what it is exactly, but it, it's clear the numbers are showing that that whatever they're doing is working uh to some degree and 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 yeah, October 10th will be the the next time we can see it working. Now, okay, now to be fair, this show still doesn't do huge numbers. It has year over year growth, but this is still a show when when there's no main roster talent and it's a run of the mill show, you're still looking at you know, uh, 680,000 people in a fucking 0.17 being like a common number. And a lot of this year-over-year growth is kind of a bounce back, if you want to look at it that way. Because if you look at, like, 2021 and 2022, here, I'll give you starting with October 2021, and I'll give you about a year's worth of 18 to 49 growth. Down 18%, down 11%, down 21%, down 17%, down 18%, down 19%, down 42%, down 20%, down 20%, down 31%. So they were siphoning young viewers. All throughout 2022. And then in 2023, it's kind of like they're just getting them all back. Right. Which is why when you look at NXT's total viewership and demo, it's like the same as it's like always been. They just, you know what I mean? It's like they lost them and then got them back. And now they're losing all of the over 50s that they used to dominate with. This show used to crush it with over 50s. The over 50s are like, I don't know what the fuck this is. This sucks. <laughs> right. This isn't wrestling anymore. And I don't want to, and I don't like it. It's scary and I don't want to watch it. Right. And now, like, all these 20-year-olds have replaced them, which, again, is a, is, a, is a trade that they'll take. But it's why on a run-of-the-mill week, they're still not doing, you know, monster numbers. Remember, this 18 to 34 half of the demo, this is – in, in totality, this isn't, like, a massive number of viewers that we're talking. So, but listen, kind of wrap this up. This is why I've been, like, doom-speaking the future of wrestling because – this is what's appealing to younger wrestling fans. This shit. This shit that they put on TV on Tuesday nights. For whatever reason, there is a certain segment of younger fans who enjoy this. And I think there are a lot of the same people who have enjoyed the bloodline. There are a lot of the same people who are into this brochacho fucking bullshit. And that is why I doom speak the future of wrestling. Because I think the people that run wrestling, they, they see the same numbers we see. And they see what connects with younger viewers. And they're going to continue uh, doing what, what uh, appeals to younger viewers. And unfortunately, 
what appeals to younger wrestling fans right now is this kind of hokey bullshit. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club Slab Pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10% off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network what's going on guys this is rich from the flagship podcast here on the voice of wrestling podcast Network. If I could have a moment of your time, I'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors, Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell, all three in one, offering you triple security. So you can have everything in one device rather than installing many pieces on your front door. But it's not just for security. The Eufy Video Lock is also for convenience. No more concerns about losing keys, and you can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated cameras. Some other great features we love about the Eufy Video Lock is it is easy to install and set up with just a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. Keyless entry, no more fumbling for keys when your hands are full. You never have to worry about kids losing keys or passing among renters. You also have 0.3 second, 0.3 second, fingerprint 
recognition, and one second unlocking. Again, 0.3 seconds, it's going to recognize your fingerprints, and in one second, it's going to unlock. And with the AI self-learning chip embedded, the more you use it, the more accurate it will be. Also, no battery anxiety. You have a rechargeable battery in there that could last around four months, and you will get a low battery notification before it runs out. Uh, passcode unlocking, a remote control with a 2K clear sight. See who's at your door and control from anywhere through the Eufy app. With enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. You can also secure your package delivery by view and two-way audio. And then best of all, no monthly fee. A bunch of other brands out there are going to charge you a monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and you never have to pay for storage. Customer service, Eufy's got you handled as well. They are on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty all backed by their professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or live chat. Personally, as a homeowner, I love my Eufy video lock. I have the ability to see what's going on when I'm not home, when packages have has arrived, and, and really the thing I love the most about it, the ease of being able to lock and unlock my doors without having to fumble with my keys and reach in my pocket or wait, no, crap, they're in my backpack, all that sort of stuff. All this is happening while my dogs are barking at me. You know what? Not anymore with the Eufy video lock. I touch it. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition. One second doors unlocked much much easier so if you want to jump on board with eufy video lock search eufy video lock that is e u f y video lock again that's eufy video lock e u f y video lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door And that's why I'm so down on the future of American TV wrestling. So, um, anyway, that's where I'm at. So you go. That is the uh, NXT number, uh, the raw number. Let's get into a little bit of, you know, actually, let, let, let's let's do this. And then we'll talk about the AEW ticket sales uh, here. I, let, we'll break up the business talk for, for a second here. Uh, to talk about the rumors about Jade Cargill and Edge. So you have Jade Cargill. Uh, Fightful uh, selects or uh, reporting last night that Cargill is expected to be leaving AEW and is expected to sign with WWE. Uh, you talked about this a lot on the Thursday Dynamite reviews, patreon.com slash voices of wrestling, voices of wrestling.com slash patreon or flagship patreon.com. Uh, a little bit about uh, how this may be the best thing for both parties involved and how it's not a big you know, lost for AEW, which I agree, you know, to, to, to an extent. So I don't know how much deeper you want to go. Cause I know you already went like 20, 30 minutes on the Jade Cargill thing or whatever, but I, I don't know quickly, like your initial thoughts when you saw that, Hey, she, she is expected to be finishing up with AEW and expected to sign with WWE. That was corroborated by uh, Dave Meltzer later. I know a few other reports think like Raj Geary had a report that like, oh, I don't know. I'm hearing that that's not going to happen, but I don't know. I'm going to go with Fightful and Dave over, uh, over Raj on this one here. But uh, uh, what, what was your initial thoughts? And, and then I can kind of give my thoughts there because if people want extended thoughts, you went about, like I said, 20, 30 minutes about uh, Jade Cargill and her, you know, her career in AEW, what this means and why it's probably not as, as big of a deal or as, 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 because some people are treating this like this is the end of the world and oh my god here we go again and and all that sort of stuff and I'm going to get to that in a little bit but you know your initial thoughts about Cargo leaving AEW to go potentially to WWE I think it's as as I said I think it's probably best for all parties involved that being Jade that being AEW and that being WWE I think she has far more upside in WWE far more upside I agree 100% I I think that um 
you know, AEW has done everything that they can do with her. They have done the best job that they could possibly do hiding her flaws and her flaws are numerous because um, she is not a good wrestler. And in a company where the in-ring quality is more important than it is in WWE, she actually stands out even more for not being good at this. Um, in nearly every match that she's ever had on pay-per-view or television, she's been on in the worst match on the show. I mean, she's just not good. And there's only so much you can do to hide that. I've been out on Jade for a long time. Right. I mean, before the hiatus, I've been out on Jade. I just, you know, and I used to come up with various different ideas and plans on how you can maybe help her improve. But I just don't see it. She's 31 years old. She very clearly is not the nimblest of athletes. Uh, she's not a good athlete in the pro wrestling sense. I understand she's a fitness model and all that, but she just, there's a lot of great athletes historically who just weren't great at the things that you have to be great at in pro wrestling. And she is someone who's just very obviously not a great athlete in a pro wrestling ring. She has two left feet. Um, and I just think at her age, there, there's just not a lot of room. The ceiling has, has been close to hit. Right, right. And really I, and... with someone like her, the most you can do is to continue to mask the flaws the best you can. And she's always going to stand out as being bad in AEW because this is a company that routinely has historically great pay-per-view shows. And she is always the low light on any pay-per-view that she's on. And because of that, there's a ceiling on how big of a star she can be there because the fans are not going to accept her as a tippy-top money-drawing star if the best she can do is a star and a half, eight, eight minute match. And that's really all you can get out of her. And, you know, they booked her as a dominant champion who never sold because they had to. And, you know, for two reasons, number one, they had to, to hide all of her flaws. And number two, because that was the best way to get her over. And they did get her over to the point where she could pop some quarter hours. I think people greatly overrate her star power. I mean, did she move some quarter hours? Did some quarter hours hold up? Sure. But, you know, I could go back and, and show you uh, she was on every battle of the belts. She was on Rampage a million times and did nothing for ratings. So I, I can counter all of the quarters that she popped with times that she meant nothing. So was she a nice little ratings mover? Yes. Does she have charisma and presence and star and, and like star exude star for days? Yes. Yeah. Airport. She passes the airport was... test for sure. All that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Looks like a fucking uh, super. Absolutely. But do I also think that she has uh, been essentially maxed out in that particular company? Look, people fit better in different places. Right. And I think that WWE can maximize her far better than AEW can because it's a different kind of company where the fans accept different things. Here's the other thing. She's not a good promo. And in AEW, it's very hard. If you're not a good promo and you're not a, and you're a terrible wrestler, I'm amazed she got as far as she did in AEW, to be completely honest with you. I mean, she's not a good promo either. And they and they even hit her weaknesses there by giving her, by trying to give her Stokely. That didn't work out. So they gave her Mark Sterling to do her talking. And when they let her talk, they just let her do what she's good at, being cocky for about 30 seconds. Because that's all she can handle. She could be cocky for 30 seconds. And, it's, and it comes across great. But in AEW, at some point, you got to stand in a ring in front of a, in front of 10,000, well, these days, in front of 2,000 people <laughs> and 
and you gotta be able to talk for seven minutes and then go toe to toe with somebody. You gotta go toe to toe with fucking MJF for eleven minutes. Good luck. That's the kind of company it is. It's dog eat dog. Does anyone listening think that Jade Cargill was prepared to stand in a ring with a microphone and be a true top girl or top guy, whatever you want to call it, in that company and cut a, an AEW caliber top guy promo? Because I don't buy it. No. And that's... we all know the work was never going to be there. So that's why I say this is, I believe, best for all parties involved. Why pay her when you've already maxed her out? She is not much more you can get out of her. You've squeezed everything you could. And I, you know, there's a good chance she's going to go to WWE and become a, a massive star. Absolutely. You just have to accept that. You just got to accept that. And I think she probably realizes she's got a better opportunity to become a bigger star in WWE. If she's paying attention, she would understand that. Absolutely. Because to me, I think it's obvious. Anyway, Rich, I talked behind the paywall on this. Um, let people know what you think about this. So, so I have two things. I largely agree with you. Um, my, my first thing is you say she's a better fit in WWE, and I absolutely agree. A hundred percent agree. And I, I think it, it speaks to now as we're approaching yet another year of AEW and we're seeing what the, the what their company is and what their infrastructure is and stuff. I, I do think that maybe they, they don't have the infrastructure in place right now and maybe never will to have people like Jade get better on their watch. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think somebody like a Jade can get better doing the things that they do the way that they do it. Now, we talked for years about how we would have Jade do dark matches. We would have Jade go on the road whenever you can. We would have had Jade do an excursion if you needed to, but I really don't think you had to do that. I think, honestly, you just need to give her ring time. They don't have the infrastructure for that, or they didn't think they, they could do that. They didn't think that they could give her dark matches. They didn't have enough house shows for her to work. So, essentially, they put her in the six-minute two-minute, three-minute squash matches, week in, week out, for years, and then that's it. And that that was all that she had to really kind of get better or get that ring training or do all those sort of things. And you're probably not going to get an improvement. Now, I, would she have improved dramatically by doing 15-minute dark matches with, you know, Emi Sakura every single week uh, on the road? I don't know. Maybe, but we don't know. Like We, we, we know that she didn't improve doing two-minute, three-minute, four-minute, five-minute squash matches. Very few wrestlers would improve just doing squash matches over and over again. And then when they started rolling out the house shows, it was like, all right, well, here we go. Now here's an opportunity to have Jay do that. And then they really didn't take advantage of that and do anything more with her. So it was like, okay, either they don't think that she's going to get any better, they don't think that they can have those sort of matches on their house shows or, 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 or dark matches or whatever, Okay, then they don't have the ability to get somebody who's still a little rougher on the edges, not quite there. They don't have the ability to get that person to that next level and say, okay, let's find out if this person can actually go to a certain level or can get better or can improve on our watch. They can't do that. Now, WWE, they have the ability to do that a little bit more. They have a performance center. They have six and a half hours of television. They have tons of house shows, and they're not afraid to put people out there and just say, hey, wrestle for 15 minutes and, and figure it out, or have her sit in the PC for three months and say, all right, here you go, boom, boom, boom. We want to get you to work to our, our level. Like you said, there's also standards as well. The WWE working standard is far less than the, the AEW working standard, but I do still think that they're we're talking about a little bit of an infrastructure problem too in AEW because I don't know that like Anna Jay has improved at all that much. Tay Conti had had hit a ceiling and wasn't improving that much more either. There's a lot of men's wrestlers that like had never seemed to have gotten any better. So it does feel like AEW is a company that if you're not already great going into it or not already really good going into it, you're probably not going to get better because they just don't have the the that's just not a company where you get better 
in the ring because you just don't you're probably not going to get that much ring time or or you're not going to have chances to kind of work stuff out or you don't have house shows you don't have dark matches you don't have that sort of stuff you have rampage and you have collision but everything's on television everything is televised and we've seen that AEW is a little scared to book things on television a lot of times whether it be they want to protect the the talent or whatever so uh, again I don't know I, we're, we're we're at a point where Jade is now reached again. Again, she reached her ceiling in AEW. You're you're not wrong about that. She absolutely 100 percent reached her ceiling in AEW. Was probably not financially worth it for them anymore to continue to invest in her and and invest time and energy and money into her. So I get it totally. And WWE will probably do a better job with her. And she might like again in a year's time, she might be the biggest star in the company. We'll say, yeah, all right. Well, we were on the show and we said, yeah, she might be the biggest star in WWE at some point because they have the infrastructure. And they seem to have the the ability to to get somebody of Jade's level either slightly better or just say, ah, you know what, whatever you have, we're going to work around that. We can do that. AEW doesn't have the infrastructure right now. They don't want to do that. They don't have the ability to do it. I don't know what it is, but it's it's strange. It, it, it's, it's, it, it leads to a very interesting question about talent development in AEW, where that next generation of talent is coming. When, when, when Danielson starts to slow down a little bit, if guys get hurt or get is that next is there a next wave in AEW is there a next group of people that are coming up and moving up the ladder and you're saying all right here we go this because it's not coming from the indies we'll tell you that I mean I I, I think the American indies are, are are better than they were a couple years ago I think they're getting very uh, there's a lot of really good talent on there but we're not ready yet where a Brian Danielson can leave and you're like all right that's cool because we got this guy or we got this person we have that you know like I, I don't want to make this too much of an overarching like globalized thing or whatever but I do think that the the Jade reaching her ceiling in AEW does maybe speak to a little bit more of AEW issues of where's that next generation of talent coming? Who is getting better in AEW? Who is improving on their television? Or is it just guys have to come in and be good or guys have to already be good and just be given a chance to really prove that they're good. But I don't, I don't see a whole lot of people getting better in AEW. I I, I don't know. Do you have the similar thought as well as, as you look up and down the roster? Well, one thing you said that stood out to me in WWE, it's not even necessarily, I think, their infrastructure and their ability to be able to spend more time helping someone get better. I personally don't think she's going to get much better. I think she is what she is. I've seen enough to to, to form that opinion. I think they can but do a much think, better job of accentuating what she does well and saying, you know, and, yeah, and packaging yeah, her agree. in a way that, that, that could work a little bit better. That's the key, because I think WWE fans, okay, different things get you over in that company where her work was always going to hold her back in AEW because she simply is going to look bad in comparison to everything else happening on these shows where you're having all these great matches and everything and fans who are there to see great matches uh, more than there to see and WWE fans are there to see the presentation and to see the total package and to see the entrance and to see uh, what, you know, right down to what the wrestlers are wearing that their fans are into that shit, you know, and, and more so than a W fan. And, and, and I think that WWE would do a better job in presenting Jade Cargill in a way that would connect with their fan base in a way that a W has barriers in doing that because she's always going to be held back by the fact that she cannot promo and she cannot wrestle where in a WWE, you can get around that with her presentation and get her over in other ways. And then her amazing presence and charisma and star power are able to come through. So that's why I think if she does end up going, it's good for WWE. It's good for her. And it's good for AEW. There's nothing left for them to do with her. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure she wasn't coming cheap. And I, and I saw Sean Ross Sapp allude to possibly an option being in play 
he said he wasn't sure whether it was a, a, a wrestler option or a comp or, or the company option. A lot of Tony Khan's contracts have company options in them. Okay. I could rattle off a bunch if you want me to. And, and that I am a hundred percent privy to that have company options in them. Tony structures his contracts that way a lot. Like he structures his sports contracts. Right, right. He comes from the sports world. And that's very common in sports to have, have team options is what they're called. Tony has team options on a lot of his contracts. I Now, this is conjecture, and I know nothing. I asked around and got stonewalled. I don't know a fucking thing about this Jade situation, okay? This is a 1,000% conjecture on my part. I would not be surprised if Tony Khan had an option and declined it and let her go. Because he may see it the same way that I see it. What else can I do with this person? Why am I going to pay her whatever exorbitant amount of money that I have her signed for when I, I can't, there's not much I can do with her other than Booker as a dominant. And we already been down that road and people were tired of that. It had, had gotten stale and she can't be an effective baby face because she can't sell. Have you seen her attempt to sell? It's not great. I mean, I, yeah, it's not great. I, I'm not trying to be you know, like, but she can't, she's not, she's not great. And you brought up the house shows and the dark matches. That's something when we brought up a million times, put her on every house show, have her work a 15 minute dark match. Ever work a twenty-five minute dark match? Right. Find out if she's got work. it. We don't know. We don't know if she can work or not. Or just, or just let, put her out there and have her work dark matches right. before every TV with Emmy Sakura and and Ruby Soho and and uh, Serena Deeb and whoever you think your best workers are. Okay. And they, she didn't work a single house show. I think they've held six of them, four of them, or six of them. However many they've held, she didn't work any of them. And I don't know if that's because they didn't try to book her. I don't know if that's because she wouldn't work them. I don't know. All I know is she didn't work any of the house shows. And I know that when I brought up the idea of putting her in dark matches before the TVs, I got a lot of pushback from AEW fans saying, oh, well, AEW doesn't do dark matches. They've been doing dark matches for months now. They do one or two dark matches before every TV now. So obviously they weren't completely opposed to the idea of doing dark matches on their shows. Now they're doing them to just give people some extra work. You could have been doing... 20 minute dark matches with her for for two years yeah and then who knows i personally don't think she ever would have improved i just don't think she has it but now you never found out we never found out i, I think that that was my overall point is we never really found out if there was a next gear from her and I, I i do worry that AEW doesn't have the infrastructure to find out a lot about a lot of people on their roster i i think it's 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 a very bloated roster there's a ton of talent it's one of the most talented you know wrestling rosters you can ever imagine there's a lot of really really good people there but i do think that there is a a, a talent development issue in the sense that like if you don't come there ready made and ready to go you're probably not going to improve or you're not going to really get a whole lot of you know opportunities to improve or show that you can actually improve or whatever so i don't know that 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 does strike me as an issue. Now, my second point that I wanted to bring up about this 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 Jade thing is, I don't think this is bad at all for AEW. I like you know people, and, and I, I get it, I get it, I get it. There's a whole generation of wrestling fans that grew up where there was one company, and everybody stayed in that one company for their entire careers until they got fired, and then they went to the indies and sulked a little bit, and then maybe they got rehired or whatever, or they never popped in, up again, or maybe they had a little impact run or whatever. But that was it. That that was what every talent would do sometimes they would go to japan or whatever very rarely we are we're in a good system right now we're in a very healthy wrestling ecosystem where people are going to go people are going to jump from from one show to the other people are going to get the highest possible bids like you said there's going to be people that are going to be better suited to be in WWE than in AEW, and there's going to be people that are better suited to be in AEW than WWE, and that's okay we we gotta we gotta calm down on on every time somebody moves or somebody jumps 
or somebody leaves that this is the end of the fucking world and oh my god oh here we go oh the perception oh people are gonna just think so negatively of it. we we gotta get past this we gotta move past this we can't keep doing this every single time i don't know what it's gonna take i don't know how many people are gonna have to do have to move before we stop doing this this is a healthy wrestling ecosystem i want people to move you want people to move too trust me you don't think you do you do you want people to move you want people to change companies you want there's so many good things happen when people move for the wrestlers it's good they get a fresh new coat of paint and probably some new paper which is always good the shows get better because you can tell new stories and and get new people in it's not stale you don't need the same 5 50 50 booking for for four years i mean Dolph Ziggler and Kofi Kingston having 75 matches on tv over the course of two years or whatever um I mean, it challenges the companies to be better, too, in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the classic example uh, that we always bring up was in New Japan Pro Wrestling lost all those guys in one fell swoop. When Styles and Nakamura and the Good Brothers left, it was people going, oh, my God, oh, my God. Oh, and what they did is they said, all right, well, we have fucking Kenny Omega. Here you go. And it was the best years they ever had in this company. They said, all right, well, we got Kenny Omega and Okada, and we'll have those guys wrestle a bunch, and we'll move Kota Bushi up, and then he'll wrestle a bunch. And, oh, yeah, we have Katsuri Shibata, who we've been kind of putting up. But now he's going to work a little. It was like the best thing that could have ever happened to that company, those guys leaving. And it launched one of the best years in New Japan's history when those guys all bounced. It's okay. It's fine. It's not that big of a deal. It's it's good. You should want this. So yeah, I I seeing this Jade thing and going, oh, oh AEW's lost another perception battle. And like you said, it might even been their choice. They may have said, look, if they're gonna give you that deal, Jade, we can't keep you here. Go ahead. Take that money. We appreciate everything you did for us here. That's a great deal. You can't pass it up for you or yourself or your family. Go ahead. And you want to be in movies and do all that sort of stuff, they seem like a better option for that too. Go ahead. Knock yourself out. I'm just looking at the last couple weeks of dark matches. And a few weeks ago in uh, Hoffman Estates, it was Stu Grayson versus Robert Anthony. Stu Grayson is not is certainly not someone who needs the extra work. Having been doing this for 20 plus years, Robert, <laughs> Robert Anthony, Anthony doesn't need the work either. Man. He's not even on the roster. And, and he's you know, worked he's, uh, for 20 plus years as well. So, yeah, um, the next week in Indianapolis, it was Johnny TV versus Brandon Cutler. I don't know what that is serving. Certainly not the audience. Certainly not talent development. Um, you know, they're just throwaway matches. This past week in Cincinnati, we had Aaron Solo and Johnny TV versus Brandon Cutler and Colt Cabana. We had uh, Sky Blue versus Marina Shafir. They both certainly need ring time. Yes, but no, that's that's, that's a great example. That is a match that should be on there and 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 should be long. Should be. How long was that? Do they have the the match time? There's no match times. I mean, that's the blind leading the blind. Let's be honest. But those yeah, are people. I would have a good wrestler with a bad wrestler instead. But you know what? Ring time, ring time, ring time. I'm fine with that. Ring time. And uh, then it was Anna Jay and Taya Valkyrie in a squash match over a couple of local wrestlers. So I, I just don't think they're even utilizing their dark matches to their to their best effectiveness. Um, WWE traditionally, I don't know anymore, but they what they used to do with their dark matches was give local indie wrestlers tryouts. Yeah, you know, and and that's a that's getting something out of your dark matches. Um, you know, and and you could do that, or you can use them for talent development. And I think AEW is wasting two opportunities per week with running two live shows a week of um not putting a lot of their young you know action andretti if you don't have him booked on the show he should be working a dark match absolutely against christopher daniels or um you know a pat buck who's who works the the house shows see they do it properly on the house shows 
a lot of the house show matches are young wrestlers against veteran wrestlers. Well, those are dead now, you right? Know? With Collision, they're, those are pretty and much dead. They haven't run any since Collision, so I don't know. But when they were running the occasional house show, I thought they were doing a, a proper job of it in terms of using it for talent development and whatnot um, and get, getting that extra work. These dark matches are wasted opportunities. I mean, they're throwing Johnny TV out there. I mean, I know you have to justify the cost of hiring him. I myself just wouldn't have hired him. Yeah, here's but, my option. Um, Don't hire Johnny Wrestling. Right. Johnny TV, Johnny fucking whatever. Johnny, go away, please. God. But you had Jade Cargill under contract for two years, and she could have been working dark matches on every fucking TV that you ever ran. And then you at least you would have known. And, you know, she could have had her go in there. And while she was TBS champion, I mean, I would have had the cameras rolling for those. And you have her, you, I'd have her win the matches. And then I would show a 30 second, 15 second, 20 second highlight later on Dynamite. Jade Carkill is now and add it to her fucking streak. Right. Earlier tonight, Jade Carkill defeated Emmy Sakura. And uh, show you show the finish. You show her hitting her finish. And she's now 47 and 0. You could even get a benefit out of it from that standpoint. But they didn't, they didn't do it. There's no thinking outside the box. And now what you have, is this underdeveloped, like this this obvious person with amazing star presence that never developed, and you can't do anything with her. And now it's like you're in a predicament where you might have to just let her go. And you know, and but I really do think she's a better suited for that for the other company. I agree, and I, I think mean, I think AEW for everyone, and I think AEW will not miss her. In in in, in I don't like think so. she Did could be a big miss star her in WWE. No. I didn't miss her. I mean, I was tired of her when she was around. I, I didn't miss her. I mean, but that could just be our tastes. But do I think, here's the thing. She can be a breakout enormous star in WWE while, you know, and a benefit to them while her exit from this company might not hurt this company at all. Right. It doesn't have to be, it, it, it can be beneficial for both parties. I know it's impossible for wrestling fans to believe, but it's okay. Like she can be a big giant star for WWE and and AEW can still survive and be okay. And it's not every single time that she does something. It's like, oh, AEW really missed the boat. Oh, look at this. Like it, you can, it, you know, what I mean, like that's it doesn't always have to be that way. I mean, it will be that way. We know that because that's just how wrestling fans are, especially this current crop of, of you know uh, of sickos and freakazoids and all that sort of stuff. But it's like, yeah, that this is kind of it shouldn't be seen as as sometimes this is a good thing. Sometimes it's it's good for both parties. Sometimes you just tell your story with somebody and they're done and they finish up with the territory and they move on. And that's okay. We need to normalize that again. That has to be okay again. Uh, we can't just pretend we, we, we just can't freak out every single time these things happen, but we're going to continue to do this. So just as a fan, she ceased being interesting to me ages ago. So I, I, it's no loss. Yeah. It's been me. about a year since I've been like, all right, what's next? What's the next level here? And, and AEW clearly didn't have an option for the next level. She might not have had a next level. I don't know what it was, but yeah, I was ready for her to go away. Now, if rampage was her write off, I, I think I probably would have done that match on dynamite or collision at least. Um, now we're just nitpicking, I guess, but I mean, so you had Statlander beat her again, spoiler alert. And I, I feel like they should have done that on one of their A shows instead of the show that, you know, people treat like an afterthought. Um, and maybe you could have argued that since Statlander already beat her, that they, they could have done, they could have had her put someone else over. But again, now you're kind of nitpicking. It might've just been better for Statlander to beat her twice and definitively, you know, you know, and, and, 
definitively tell your audience that she's better than her. But, um, you know, I, I don't even know how much that old school style booking even matters anymore, to be completely honest. Um, but, you know, you do you should do business the right way and lose on the way out. She did. If this is, in fact, the end. Um, man, I would have got Red Velvet out there to beat her. Why don't we wrap that up? Yeah, you're right. Why don't she get out of her mama's kitchen and come beat, you know, and give her a big win over Jade here? You know, I don't think she's from your mama's kitchen anymore. Um, didn't she change where she's built from? I, you, you know, know what? Sort of I know I, nothing about Red Velvet at this time. Um, she used to be from your mama's kitchen. She was, where she was when she was stirring from. it up. But yeah, I, but I don't know what she's doing now. So. I, I don't think she's from your mama's kitchen anymore, though. I think she's, you know, just from a, a city now. She's just from a city. Yeah. Um, you know. do, we, do we ever get the, the Layla Gray breakup? I don't know if you ever did that. Yeah, a lot, a lot of un... Uh... Ah, God, what a cliffhanger. <laughs> uh, a lot of loose ends not tied up here at the yes. end of... Uh... Unfortunately, the baddies, yes. yeah, the whole baddies. She did, she only lost one baddie, but we don't know what happened. I guess I don't. Did she ever? I don't even. Who cares? Nobody cares about. Yeah, no, Kira Hogan, and um, it was a rotating cast, and um, it was the same stories over and over with her too. And I mean, that's not the promos her. are right. The same. I mean, how many times? Cut oh the shit, God. Tony. It's like, all right, yeah. we heard you. <laughs> we got it. Yeah, yeah, it's it, and the same shit over and over again kicking one of the baddies out, then beating them in a match. And I don't know. I, I was over it. But, you know, the booking isn't entirely on her. I mean, there's only so much you could do with her. I get it. But, you know, it, it, it didn't seem like they had any fresh. They were just waiting for Statlander to come back. Right. That's patently obvious with the benefit of hindsight that, you know, that's why it was seemingly everyone would complain about the Jade holding pattern. Well, yeah, what legitimately was there was waiting for Statlander to come back. And, uh, you know, it was just a couple days ago where she was saying there's nowhere she wants to be or would rather work than AEW. <laughs> now, it's a it's a pro wrestler. Uh, but professional liar. Yeah, it's a professional liar. Could be another tip off that maybe this was not her decision. Right. I mean, you know, I just I don't know. I'm just putting clues together. Yeah, I, I also sure think that that's a leverage play, too. Again. You're right. Of course. Of course. That's yeah. You're that, she could have I a meeting said. with WWE. Go home. Get that article out. WWE can say, oh, hey, whoa, 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 Jade. Hey, yeah, uh, you know, we, I thought we had a great conversation, but you know what? Hey, if there's anything else you need to kind of sweeten the deal, you know, let it let us know. That could absolutely be what, what's going on as well, because no that's what you should it. do. No doubt about it. So I'm sure it'll all come out in the wash and we'll find out. Um, and look, we don't even know if she's officially gone. You know, it's just it, it, it seems like. Right, a lot Most of expected of to be believed type of, of wording. It's not Jay Cargill is finishing up and she reports to WWE in two weeks or whatever. We, none of that right. yet. No, it's it's just people believe that's the side that's going to ultimately end up with her. Right. We don't know if there's an actual bidding war taking place. We don't know if Tony has shaken her hand and parted ways and now she's just negotiating with WWE. We don't know any, you know, that we don't know. We just know that we don't really know anything. We just know that two reporters are saying that people are telling them that they expect her to end up with WWE. So we'll see. Uh, and then on the other side of that edge, uh, mixed reports so far, uh, PW insider reported earlier this week that edge Adam Copeland was removed from WWE's internal roster with a belief that he could be AEW bound. Uh, they've since updated that to say that edge has been restored to the internal roster, but not as an active wrestler. So I don't know where that leaves us with the Edge Adam Copeland thing. Where does your heart tell you, or, or, or where does your mind tell you? I think about Edge here. Do you think he's AEW bound? Do you think he's done in WWE? Are we still not sure? Where, where, where are you at with this whole Edge story? 
I don't know. Obviously, Tony Khan would take him because he tried to get him the first time. So, um, and now with Christian there, you know, it's just, you know, obviously, if Tony can get him, he would. So we'll see. I, I don't know. I don't have any insight on it. The thing about Edge is he very much likes, he's an old school worker in that way where he wants to work people. So, um, you know, he's done this before where he's he's publicly said that he wasn't going to be somewhere or do something, and then he does it. And it's like, so you're never going to, don't try to read tea leaves with him. You, right. You'll get misdirected and, and everything else. So I don't know. Well, you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, I think I'm more open to him coming to AEW than you are. Oh, yeah. You seem to be totally out on it. <laughs> that's, a, that's an understatement. Um, yeah, I have no no time at all for Edge. Go away. Uh, you know, if he's going to sit on a stool with a spotlight and do thespian promos, I don't have any use for it either. But I, I don't I don't know that he would do that in that company. I think he – I would like to think he's smart enough to understand it's a different environment. You know, we just talked about how different environments work better for different people. Um, I think there's interesting stories to be told with him and Christian potentially. I think that Christian um, – Listen to you. Know, you. When's I, the last time you gave a shit about Edge? Think about it. Never. I mean, almost right. never, because I've never <laughs> right. been an edge guy. Right. But so, like... I, I'm just looking at it from AEW's point of view of why they'd want to bring him in. I mean, you know, I think there's some things that can be done there, obviously. They're right there, obvious and on the table. Um, You know, but I don't know. Dude's I, 49, know, so. has never meant anything for business ever. The only time he popped the ratings because everybody wanted to see Lita's tits. You know what I mean? Like, what are we doing here, man? I, yeah, I know. Guy's going to cost a billion dollars to bring in. You're going to lot of money. spend a lot, a lot of money. You're going to push them like crazy. There's so many guys in that roster that can't get TV time, can't get a fucking storyline written for them, can't get be put in a feud, and you're going to spend multiple millions of dollars on a 49-year-old Adam Copeland who hasn't meant a thing for business ever. Get out of here. Right, Waste of time and money. You asked me if you thought they would bring him in. That's all. Yeah. I don't know. I think they might. Oh, and then I, you're trying I, to explain Edge. Like, you gave a shit about Edge ever. You don't give a fuck I, about I, Edge. I, I never gave a shit about This is what I'm saying. Like, people are like, well, I'd like to see him outside the WWE structure. When is the last? I mean, if you haven't given a shit about a guy in 15 years, are you really going to give a shit about him again? I've actually found all of his comeback to be annoying. They're all terrible. They're all worse than the one before. Yeah, they stink. He's going to drag Christian down, too. That's my least favorite thing about this whole thing. Because people are like, well, I don't know. There's some Edge and Christian stuff that could be pretty good. I love Christian right now. I don't want him fucking around with Edge. Get out of here. Go away. I think you might get it, though. I know. Oh, I know I'm getting it. I know. And again, this company that, that continues to you know push people that don't ever move business, I don't, I don't know. I personally wouldn't do that. I wouldn't pay a bunch of people who never move business. But, you know, not my company. Yeah, well, I know. Can't wait for Edge and Christian versus the Hardys, man. Well, jeez. Only saw that match oh four, he's gonna, he's gonna 45 that, fucking times 23 years ago. Great. Let's run it back oh, again. Now they're all old and worse. Great. Oh, cool. he's going to book that, isn't he? Of course he is. He's going to book that. Yep. It'll be over in the building. Edge oh, is sure. always over in the oh, building. Oh, always over in the building. Always over in the building. Yep. I mean, you know, he's always mega over in the building. Right. Can't get people to uh, watch the show that he's on, but yeah, in the building, they love him. Can you get the Alter Bridge song? Can you get the rights to that? <laughs> sure. I don't know. I just, it's you know what? It's a real song, right? So, it is a real song. Yeah, I don't know if, um, yeah, it's just, like, I'm looking at AEW right now and all the time and the money and the effort that they're going to have to put in 
and all that could, that could be used on so many other guys on that roster that might mean something. Like, like I always say this, and it's true. Pro wrestling, the way that you get more popular in pro wrestling is by pushing people that have never been pushed before or pushed in a different way or, or, or doing something unique. Going back to somebody who's been on national television for two decades that never meant anything is not going to all of a sudden turn your business around. It's not. So you can lie to yourself and tell you, oh, well, Edge is going to be, I, 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 he's not going to mean anything. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, he's not going to, he hasn't meant anything in 20 years. He's not going to mean anything now that he's in AEW. And, and, and you can keep doing that, but I, I don't know, personally, I'd spend that time and money and the resources on a Darby Allen, on a Powerhouse Hobbs, on a Ricky Starks, on a, a Jay White. Remember they signed Jay White? Remember that guy, Jay White? Oh, he's doing all right. He's doing okay? All right, well. He's doing okay, he's right? Doing okay, I guess. Yeah, sure. Bullet Club Gold has has the man talked yet? On um, have they given the man a microphone to talk yet? Yeah, he's doing a little more talking. Uh, you know, he hasn't <laughs> stood in the ring with the mic for eleven. minutes. Well, guess who's going to stand in the ring with a mic for eleven fucking minutes every single week and get paid four million dollars a year to do it? Edge. <laughs> well, hopefully not sitting on a stool. Hopefully standing at minimum and no spotlight and no going to that place. Is Edge to blame for going to that place? Is he the one who started I don't know. going to that place? Is he the? Uh, he certainly the didn't say zero? no. He didn't say no to any of those ideas, and he certainly had the ability to say no to a lot of those ideas. Yeah. So is he? Is he ground zero that place? Is he the guy? I. I think he's the. He think he's ground zero for that, right? I think he is. Or patient zero, whatever you want to call that. He's the that. We have him to blame. Mm-hmm. Orange Cassidy, that's another guy who's ready to take a next step up to the main event with this. But no, yeah, Adam Copeland. Well, All right, cool. Great. All he got was a 20-second promo, weird promo with Hook this week. I don't know what that <laughs> right. was. And he's like hanging around weirdly. Everyone's like, hey, Orange. He's like, ah, I'm still hurt. Well, go home, dude. <laughs> and then he just, yeah. It's like we don't have another – we don't have the next step ready for Orange Cassidy? <laughs> really? You know, I, I at this, you know, the thing is, I've been thinking about that, and I should have brought it up behind the paywall in the review. It it probably would have been better to get him off of TV for a while. Yes, because now he's just weird. Now he's like hanging around. He's like the fucking guy who graduated high school is still at the parties. It's like go away for a little bit, man. Like you know what I mean? Because you could bring him back in five, six weeks or whatever, nice and healed, and he makes a big return at Grand Slam big or whatever. Surprise. Makes a, yeah, big surprise yeah. or whatever. But yeah, he's just hanging around doing stuff with people that it should be beneath him. Hook's beneath him at this point, right? Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Move this yeah, guy up the ladder. I, I, what's yeah. the what's the fucking plan for this guy? Let's go. Come on. I feel like maybe like I thought he was just gonna keep wrestling every week, but I, I feel like maybe the promo last week he should have said, I have to go away for a while. And then Mox's music hits and he leaves and it's like you don't see him for six weeks. Right. And you miss him. Right. But I don't know. I yeah, so I don't know. I I I'll let it play out as they let like it play to out. Say. Yeah. But uh I don't uh I don't really quite get this one. No, but uh, moving on to uh, AW business here. Let's talk about uh, ticket sales in, in many, many different ways here. Mm. Um, a bit of a disturbing trend for old AEW. Ticket sales slow almost across the board uh, for most of their events in September uh, and October and, 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 and leading into a little bit of November as well. Uh, this week's Dynamite, like we talked at, about at the top of the show, the second worst attended AEW TV show of the year, just barely surpassing, just barely. Barely surpassing uh, a collision in Regina, 
uh, Saskatchewan this week had uh, uh, 2,667, which is not that many. That's not that many people to be at a television show. Uh, 2,667. Uh, that did beat out the collision in, in, in Regina that had or Regina that had 2,474. And uh, just to give you a, a little bit of reference, the last time AEW was at the Heritage Bank Center in Cincinnati, uh, which was October 18, 2022, uh, the attendance was 4,740. So uh, basically double uh, of what they had uh, for uh, Dynamite last night. And uh, that is not a aberration. That is not just a one-time thing. AW Collision, September 16th, this uh, upcoming weekend, uh, Bryce Jordan Center in University Park, Pennsylvania, uh, set up for 4,207, as of three days ago, had sold 2,426. So they're about halfway, a little over halfway uh, on that show, which is happening in two days. Uh, AW Dynamite Grand Slam, September 20th at the Arthur Ashe Stadium, set up for 12,129. As of two days ago, they have sold 6,284. Uh, yesterday, uh, they also rolled out a buy one, get one ticket offer for the show for Arthur Ashe. That's a bad one. That is not good. Yeah, great. yeah. And as I, as I noted last week, too, they also have tickets available on the uh, uh, seat filler, uh, the, the, the Broadway seat filler site that one of my friends uses to... Uh, to get super discounted and in most cases free tickets to Broadway events and, and sporting events, things like that. He got a seat to that show for $5. Yeah. He got into Arthur Ashe for $5. So they're doing everything they can to put people in. They, they announced a bunch of matches this week on TV. We'll see if that'll help. That some, should hopefully this move is, it. Yeah, that should hopefully move it. This, this was two days ago. This is before the dynamite. So that, that should hopefully move it a little bit, but um, yeah, it's just, it's not, I mean, that Arthur Ashe thing felt like a, a, a layup most years and now it's like they're they're scratching and clawing to get to ten thousand, and i don't even know if at they're one, gonna get there at one point it was the biggest show they ever did right and you know now it's it's by far gonna be the least attended they've ever had um they're gonna have to shoot it carefully at this point to not expose a bunch of empty seats i mean it's twenty thousand seat building um you know and and yeah i mean you know people can you know the people who like to point to ticket prices i will point out that UFC is running Madison Square Garden. They're going to pack the place standing room only. And the cheapest seat, the worst seat, uh, the third level last row is a $900 seat. Yeah. So I don't want to hear about your ticket price. <laughs> I sat in that one for the uh, the Super Show. While you were in the front row somehow, uh, I sat in in very much the last couple of rows of the Madison Square Garden. Uh, you're up in the catwalk there, man. You can you can touch the catwalk uh, yeah. in Madison Square that's, Garden. That's, that's $900. That's where the diehard psychopath Ranger fans sit. That's, that, that. <laughs> Is that that spot? Cool. No, that, that's what, no that, like, that's a thing. Like, okay. Oh, okay. Seat, I think they call it. And that, that's where the psychopath Ranger fans, like the, the blue-collar Ranger fan yeah, yeah, sits yeah. up there, yeah. Rich. Um, the, uh, and I, and, and listen, you, you, you're making me too, make me have to be too posh here. I was not in the first row. I was in the fourth row. Okay. So <laughs> let's straighten that out for everybody. Right. Um, I was not, in the but if you think Joe was show. big time and paying a bunch of money, I, he didn't. And somehow he got it like two minutes before the show started. So I don't know how he did. I didn't have a, I, I didn't have a ticket at the door of Madison <laughs> square garden that night. And I ended up in the fourth row. So, um, you know, I don't buy tickets to things. You know that. I just show up and figure it out. You do. But, Sometimes um, you just walk in. I've seen that happen too. Well, I mean, <laughs> if they're not going to stop you, I, you know, you just, you know, um, but uh, but yeah. So I don't want to hear about ticket prices because no. if you got a product that's you know, worth buying, people will buy it. They don't they're, care. They're going to buy it. Nine hundred dollars to sit literally in the worst seat in the building, and they're going to have standing room only for that event. So, 
Um, I'm sorry if I'm not moved because some AEW tickets are $150. I mean, please. Uh, by the time half of these shows go off, like you said, they got the buy one, get ones. They got the family four packs. They got. Right. Even know, if, if they if they raise the prices to make money, they're fucking losing all that by giving people two dollar tickets and buy one, get one freeze and, and, and two for ones and all this sort of stuff that's going on. Yeah. So, I mean, are, are they gaming the system in some cities if they're drawing seven? That, but the problem is they're not drawing seven thousand anywhere anymore versus drawing ten thousand. It is. It's just going backwards. So. Well, and aesthetically, I think it's it's been rough too because you're watching these dynamites and it's just dark. The half the buildings empty and yeah. and it sounds yeah. weird. It's like even if even if financially they're like, well, we're actually making more money doing this. Like aesthetically, it, it sucks. And they've also had a trend recently too where they have reduced greatly reduced prices you know coming up to the show like the day the day of the show a couple days before the show you're getting things like the buy one get ones or or heavily discounted tickets or whatever that sucks if you bought tickets two weeks ago three weeks ago four weeks ago because you're like what the fuck i bought a full price 40 dollar ticket and this guy over here has a buy one get one and he only paid 20 bucks for the same ticket and he got one for free like and they've been doing that and people are noticing that too people are kind of sniffing that out and that is going to be that's some, a perception thing that you have to deal with as well, where people can say, well, you know what? No, nah, I'm not going to – I'll buy a ticket when we get right down to it. There, the, the idea that, like, you got to buy a ticket to this AEW show right away the second they go on sale or else you're not going to go to that show, that's done. You can wait around until the day before and buy a ticket and, and get a good ticket still for that price. That's bad, too. You don't want to do that. So even if they are making more money with whatever they're doing or, or, or running these buildings or running whatever ticket prices, whatever, like, they're, they're doing a lot of stuff that's probably hurting their perception in the marketplace. Uh, as well but a few of these other shows dynamite september 27th from the first bake center in uh, broomfield colorado uh set up for 3845 as of five days ago has only sold 1878 uh the last time they were there which was december 28th 2022 they had 4229 in there and they're not even set up for 4000 this time and they've only sold just under 2000 yeah, we can talk in circles forever. The bottom line is this they don't have a hot program. They don't have hot stars right now and that's why they're not selling tickets. People don't think they're going to get a great show like they used to like they used to get when they would go to an AEW show. And um I don't think the Dynamites I thought there was a run of Dynamites that were bad. Um I don't think Dynamite has been bad lately. No, I, 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 think I don't think so. Good, it's been a good show, but it hasn't been a great show. I talk about the three tenets of the classic great dynamite all the time. Great matches, great promos, lots of shit happening. And it's very rare that dynamites these days tick all three boxes. It's very rare. There haven't been, there used to, dynamite used to go on runs where there were great matches, plural, every week. Now you're lucky to get one great match. Like this week's dynamite, there was a bunch of good matches. There's a lot there of good, no great a lot matches. of good, not great. A lot of good, not great. You know, nothing gets to great. And it used to be, oh, wow, that Dynamite had two great matches and two good matches and a Jade Cargill match. Now you're getting uh, some good matches, you know, and, and very rarely great. You get a great one now and then. You know, when's the last time we had a truly great promo? We used to get great promos. And lots of, now, now lots of shit happens. Yeah, last night, on last night, I thought there was a lot of storyline advancement. Lots of shit happened. You didn't have great matches. You didn't have great promos. Yeah, good matches and okay promo. You know, so I, I think people know they're not going to get the same quality of show that they used to get. And there's not a hot story. You know, the Brochacho thing is not a hot story. I'm sorry. They, they're, they're selling less tickets as this thing moves along. 
if that's a hot story, you'd be selling tickets because people would need to see MJF and Adam Cole and what's going to happen next. It's a story that people react to in the building for sure. It's a story that has popped television quarter hours for sure. It's not a ticket selling story, but neither was the bloodline for the first two years. So who knows? So let's check back and see how the brochachos are doing in two and a half years. Rick. Right. For sure. <laughs> Thank God. I, I can't wait. See how that's doing in two and a half years. I uh, can't wait. Real quickly, I'll do these last three shows here. Collision, uh, September 30th, Climate Pledge Arena, Seattle, Washington. This is the day before, uh, two days before, sorry, uh, Wrestle Dream. Uh, set up for 6,417. Uh, as of five days ago, I've only sold 3,373, which gets us to the pay per view, Wrestle Dream, which you would assume, okay, well, yeah, these are collisions and dynamites or whatever. But AEW pay per view is one of the best bets in wrestling that I'm going to buy tickets to a pay per view and it's going to rule, right? Uh, Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, their big arena, set up for 6,905. As of two days ago, have sold only 4,136 tickets. Yeah, I, I don't think people know what that is. I don't think right. they're, they're waiting and seeing. You know, I, I um, you know, the pay-per-views have done okay at the gate. So, you know, that I just that, don't that think one's weird. People... That that one is strange. Yeah, I do wonder if a lot of people locally just don't really understand what that they thing is. They don't know is. what it is, you know, and, and and they're not in that market often either. The Pacific Northwest and that's always been a funky market for wrestling. Yeah, well, they WWE. didn't set it up very big either. I mean, they're, they're renting out that yeah. whole big arena for a, a, a pay-per-view, a quote-unquote pay-per-view. And it's got, you know, they're only set up for, you know, under what, 69.05, like I said. that That's, I don't know, that... I think they knew they weren't going to do well there, which is strange. Like I, I would have, I don't know. It's a, it's, it's odd. It's and yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe when the whole card finally comes out, you know, that, that will they'll see a boost with that. Well, and it extends they, to the full gear as well in the Kia form. So that's that's November eighteen. So that's long in the future here. They have it set up for seven thousand eight hundred thirty five right now per per Russell Ticks, and obviously that can change and they can move things if if tickets sell pretty well. And they've done okay. They've sold six thousand seven hundred thirty tickets to that show. So that's okay. They they they're getting close to selling what they've set up for. But the last time they were there, which was. January 11, 2023, which is the, you know, the conclusion of the best of seven series, the box and, and the death triangle, whatever they sold 9,636 tickets for that show. They were just yeah, under 10,000. They'll have 10,000 this year too. I think based on that advance, I think the pay-per-views do. Okay. I, you know, people you think they'll get 10,000 for full gear. Well, they're over 6,000 now. They're 6,730 right now. They're a little under 7,000. I'll, they'll do what they did last year. I think, which is almost 10,000. You think they'll add tickets? Yeah, that's okay. a long ways to go. I mean, that show's not until when? What's the date on that? Uh, November 18th. November 18th for that Yeah, show. I mean, there's two months to go. Uh, that's a good advance, especially by their standard. Look, I By their I current standards, the it is. Are, by their current standards, that's a good advance. By their current standards, yes. I don't think the pay-per-views are the problem. I think it's the week-to-week TV. Yeah, I agree. You know, the pay-per-views are a little down. Chicago was a little down. The Wrestle Dream thing's weird. I, just people were waiting to see what that is. Um, you know, Wembley, obviously, was a whole different animal. Right. So, I, I don't know. I think the paper Forbidden Door did well. Um, Speaking of turnstiles and uh, AEW ratings and ticket sales here. Uh, WrestleNomics reported that AW All In, you just mentioned them, the turnstile count for AW All In was 72,265, according to local government records. So, what does this mean? Should I freak out? What am I, what's going on here? What did you make of uh, the WrestleNomics report that uh, the turnstile count 
7,272,265. What it means is we now have an annoying third number that everybody's going to want for these shows. They're going to want how many people (laughs) were in the building. They're going to want how many people paid Uh and bought tickets. And they're going to want what was the turnstile count. You're going to hear that forever now. What was the turnstile count? We already had two numbers that people would argue over. Now we have a third number that people are going to argue over. And, you know, in Brandon's right up there, he noted that uh, a typical AEW show has between 80 and 90% of uh, what they call a drop rate. Yeah. And if you take the number of tickets sold that Tony Khan claims, the 72 number that you just gave 72 plus would be 89%, which would fall within that 80 to 90% drop rate. And what the drop rate is, is people who have purchased tickets who, for whatever reason, don't show up. So it's plausible that Tony gave it the, the, the accurate number of tickets sold. Because 82, 82, uh, 82,035, uh, 81,035 was the number that died up. 81,035 because, you know, 89% of that, you know, would be the 72 number that you just gave. And that would fall within the general, the usual drop rate of an average AEW show. These are all, we have never discussed drop rates and turn style numbers before. <laughs> Ever. So be prepared. The, the most annoying thing about this, I, I have to be honest with you. I really don't give a fuck anymore how many people. Were no, I, I hate it's this. Like, now. I hate this conversation now. And I, this I, might too. be the last time we do it. I am still done with it. I hate it. I'm so done with it. I don't understand why it's so difficult. Like it, it should just be a hard number. That's just, you know, and these debates are tiresome. They're boorish. It's, it's, and now we have to add. Get prepared because drop rate and turnstile count is going to be part of everybody's vernacular now. And I am just so fucking over it. I, you know, I'm just so over it. It's, uh, you know, the worst part about this, obviously, is it gives fuel to the worst and dumbest people on Twitter to now argue forever into eternity about WrestleMania, whatever number that was, 32, 35, 32, 32. 32 versus this and how the turnstile count was less. And they, that's the worst part about it. The, the dumbest, most vapid, you know, uh, most ignorant people on earth now have fuel. And that part sucks. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm so over this shit now. I, I you know, it's, it's, we're going to go through all of this next year. And you know, next year they're going to have, let's say they have 70,000 sold, you know, with a month to go, you know, and now the everyone, I, I, yeah, well, you know, now the new thing now is they're going back to Tony Khan bought the other 10,000 tickets. Rich, I just can't. I can't uh, yeah, I, I'm I over it. it. Yeah. If it's we're going to, so if stupid. we're going to do, if, if we're not going to look at like what reasons might exist for why people don't show up to a show and we're just going to go right to, you know, Tony Khan bought this tickets. Proof that Tony bought the right. tickets. Right. It's like, all right, and, I think I'm good just, here. I, I think I'm these good are just, here. Right. And the problem with these discussions is it's always the dumbest people that end up driving the direction of this discussion. Because then everyone argues with these fucking idiots, the crying face emoji crowd, and they inadvertently drive the conversation. And at the end of the day, I don't just don't think I care enough. 
<laughs> about to, you know what I mean? Like it's uh, it, it wears you down to the point where it's like I don't know. There were a lot of fucking people there. What do you want from me? I, you know, yeah, they're the biggest show ever. Do I think Tony would lie? I don't. I do not think Tony Khan is lying about the number of tickets sold to that show because I think he knows that's the kind of lie you can't come back from because that's what the other side does. I don't think he's lying. But now we all have to be prepared to discuss turnstile counts for a fucking eternity now. Yeah, great. Yeah, I, I'm glad you came to that conclusion because I kind of came to that conclusion too, and I was like, now we're doing we're doing turnstile counts. I think I'm I think I'm out on caring about attendances and and pissing contests about editing Wikipedia pages and stuff. And, and yeah, I don't I don't know if I care anymore. Yeah, I think I'm uh, gonna give up on caring about attendances. And then you got you know WWE doing combined attendances for shows, and it's like all right, we've we've lost the I don't care anymore. <laughs> so I'm glad you came to the similar conclusion that uh, I'm just over it so there you go that is uh turnstile count and drop rates and yeah get used to hearing those words but you know who's got the record rich north korea's got no, you know record. what i'm with you I, You know what i'm gonna do that let's am, just become north korea truthers and just say I yeah team north korea <laughs> right it's so much easier it's like when people ask me who my you know who, uh, who's the greatest basketball player of all time i say kareem abdul jabbar and then they stop talking to me because they want me to say jordan or lebron so they can argue with me and i just go kareem and they go oh and then they just they never ask me again <laughs> it's perfect i love it you know the uh the drop rate on the turnstile count for that show had an entirely different meaning. It definitely, oh, yes, it did. Yes, it did. Yeah, we're, let's we're going to become collision and Korea truthers. I'm glad that's that's quite the pivot for us, but yes. it's just Me so and much Rod easier. Theory are in agreement. <laughs> it's just so much easier. Yeah, when you can yeah, yeah, again, so. when you can ape for the North Korean government, you just got to do it, and, and we just got it. Raj at this was point. right after all, you know. You know. <laughs> right, apologize to Raj. Yeah. <laughs> Between that and the Sasha story, the man's on a roll. Right, this admit. Jade thing. Maybe we should start listening to him about this Jade thing. Yeah. He That's might right. he might nail the shade thing too, so we'll see what ends up happening there. But uh, yeah, I think I'm uh, I think I'm moving over to uh, I'm, I'm with you on the collision in Korea story there. So all right, Joe, we got about half an hour left in the show here, and a few other uh, big topics to get to. I don't know how you want to structure the rest of the show. You want to do CMLL and maybe move the Japan stuff to an overrun? What where, what are you feeling right now with a half hour left? Cover two massive tournaments and a 90th anniversary show for CMLL. Well, 90th anniversary is this weekend. I mean, we talked about it a little bit when they um, announced the card, as I have hiccups now for some reason. Um, so we kind of have gone over it. I know that uh, uh, Cubs fan, he, he did he write the preview yet? He did, yeah. There is a preview up at VoicesOfWrestling.com. It is in, so. is good as always because Cubs fan, no, nobody knows more about Lucha than, than Cubs fan. So, yeah, great stuff there available right now at VoicesOfWrestling.com. Yeah, so I mean, I guess we'll go over it very quickly again. Dragon Rojo Jr. and Templario in the main event. That's mask versus mask. Someone's losing a mask. That's always a huge deal. Those guys have had an excellent feud all summer long. So that's a well-built mask match. And it's uh, two guys kind of, especially when you're talking about Templario, on the come, on the rise. It's, you know, a lot of times you get a couple veterans in a mask match, a guy looking for one last big payoff. And uh, this is a well-built feud between two guys in their prime and right. one guy who's who's really been emerging. So I think it's interesting from that standpoint. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And, um, you know, then you've got Averno and Ultimo Guerrero versus Angel de Oro and Valador Jr. Um, then it's uh, Kevin Knight, Rocky Romero, and TJP. This is Rocky Romero recruiting his buddies to help him battle 
uh, uh, Mystico, who, you know, in Atlantis Jr. and, and Mascara Dorada, no longer 2.0, just uh, straight up Mascara Dorada now. Uh, you know, Metallic left them on bad terms. The last time we talked about this, you know, he kind of, they, they had stopped booking him, but he's been talking some shit on, uh, on the way out too. Uh, a little bit of bitterness there, I guess. Um, he's kind of become a grumpy old man. Yeah, he became like he's a tell- learn how to you know grab a hold kid, learn how to work. And I'm like, Grandma Talik, I'm watching. Yeah. I'm watching him in the Cruiserweight Classic right now. You know, doing that series on uh, FlagshipPatreon.com, and I'm like, this guy rocks, and he's just like doing cool flippy dos and crazy stuff. And now, like, you, you see him on Twitter, and he's like, these kids don't know how to work. And I'm like, wow, I didn't really, I didn't realize that uh, Metallic Masquerade Dorado would would become that kind of guy. But here we are, and he's I only think like WWE broke him. He's only like thirty six, right? Thirty four. He's thirty four. He's way too young to be doing the learn how to work kids stuff. But yeah, maybe he sees younger guys doing things that you know he used to be the innovator, and maybe it's a matter of he sees guys doing things that he doesn't do. Yeah, it happens to all these guys eventually. You know, it's uh, I don't know, but it feeds into the next match because you have Lince Dorado and Samurai Del Sol against Soberano Junior and Titan. You have to think that originally Metallic was earmarked for that, for kind of like the Lucha House Party coming back together, you know? And it's Oh, like, for sure, yeah. So now you have it as just a tag match, which, you know, okay. And it, I'm, I'm happy to see Soberano Jr. and Teton on the show. They've certainly earned a spot on the show this year. Um, then, you know, it is the 90th anniversary, so you have to have a match with, with the older guys, and it's uh, Atlantis, Blue Panther, and Octagon versus El Satanico, who's been working more than you might think. Uh, I saw a match between him and Tiger Mask, which was something else. Combined age of well over 100 on that <laughs> yeah, one. Right. You know, Fuerza Guerrera, the father of uh, Juventud, and uh, Virus. So, you know, that, you know, I have no problem with a match like that on a show like this. You know, it's, it's you know, it's 90th anniversary. It's a nod to some other eras and all that. And then uh, I, I guess Cubs fan staff- wrote this, and, and I, I have no reason to believe that he's wrong about this, but this is Octagon's uh-huh. first anniversary show. That's crazy. I would. Well, he was a AAA guy for a long. time. He was for a long time, but I was wondering if he, he, he somehow he never snuck on any of the other ones. Yeah. Doesn't that kind I mean, of surprise you? Because the... the guy was there for. I mean, he was obviously you know CMLL for for a number of years, but I don't know. It just still. I was kind of like, oh yeah, I guess so. And I, I looked, and as far as I could tell, he was right. And again, I have no reason to believe that Cubs fan would be lying about that or whatever. But yeah, this is a guy who. You know, did Cubs he... fan is a liar. Right. <laughs> no, I, I, I feel like, um, no, I, I mean, the guy was in AAA for 20 years. Right. So right. that eliminates, you know, a lot of, and then, you know, he did EMLL and CMLL in like the early 90s. And I think a, he may have done the late, late, late 80s. I forget if he was even around then. And he was still pretty well, young well, at that yeah, point. Like, like everyone before AAA existed, of course, he was with the, you know, he was working Arena Mexico. Right. But right. As a young wrestler, I you know, this isn't as unreal as it might seem because as a young wrestler, he just may not have had a spot on exactly. the anniversary show. Then he's with AAA for 20 years, and then the last 10 years or so, he's really been an indie guy. Right. You know, and it's like, so, you know, on the surface, it's shocking, you know, because he's been in and out of, and he's a name guy, and he's been in and out of CMLL. But it makes sense guy. when you, you break it down. It. Yeah, that's kind of how I would. I was like, there's no way. And I was like, oh, I mean, I guess so. I mean, the guy left in April of 1992, CMLL. Did AAA forever, um, returned to CML in 2017. And then, like you said, it's just kind of been bouncing around the last couple of years or whatever. And, you know, didn't, he was there in 2017 and 2018 a little bit, but hasn't really become full time until 2022 and now 2023. So, yeah, it makes sense that this would be his first one. So it's like, oh, yeah, okay, that, that does make sense. But yeah, I remember reading that sentence and I was like, no way. And yeah, it's true. So 
Yeah. And then um and then the uh the women's the women's uh tag team they're doing a they're introducing the women's tag team titles. Yes, yes. So uh you want to take a crack at those pronunciations? <laughs> I do not. Uh, no. No. No, there's some there's scared? some strange ones there. I am very scared about uh, uh of many of those. All right. So there's Stephanie Vaquier who made a name against um Mercedes Monet of uh, a couple of months back. Uh uh Zeusis? I'm not sure how I you see, say that. That one's all you, man. That one's all you. I see the other team is Las Chicas, so I, I know that. I could say Las Chicas. That, that yeah, one works La Gerochita and, and Juvia. I think that's pronounced. Uh, or Lavia. I don't, I don't know. Which I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, well, la, well, it's the two L's, like Lave, right? Oh, like that's right. Yeah, style. yeah, your favorite wrestling la, style. But I'm going to be honest. I skip the women's matches when I watch CMLL. I don't even watch the women's matches. So I, I don't, you know, I'm obviously familiar with, with Vakir. I don't. The others I don't watch. I just they're usually just awful, so I just I don't bother watching them anymore. But um, so I can't give you anything on those. I know that um, you know when I look at the card, I think I I think I said this um last time. I they didn't they did a good job really working in the vast majority of the feuds that they have spent all year building. You know, um. Could you have gotten, you know, could you have gotten Hechicero in there with Mephisto and Euphoria somehow? I guess so. I guess you could have done that. But outside of that, there's really not much to really complain about. And, you know, you can't have everybody on the show. You know, this isn't fucking Corgan's NWA where you're going to have 25 matches. I mean, it's a, an arena Mexico show. You're going to have five, six matches. That's just, you know, you're going to have six matches. So um, there's not really a lot to gripe from that standpoint. And, you know, CMLL has been nothing short of great this year. So I expect this show to deliver, especially when I look at the lineup, you know, and for someone who might be parachuting in, I can't give you anything on the women's tag. So I'm not even going to pretend. Don't expect much out of the older guys, you know, in the in that match. But everything else, the the ceiling is is notebook for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. Silverano has been one of my favorite wrestlers in the world this year, and and him and Teton that that should be an awesome team there. Uh, the the Rocky Romero stuff with with Mystico and 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 you know that whole you know him bringing in the, the New Japan Strong dudes with Knight and TJP against Atlantis and, and and Dorada and Mystico I mean that sounds awesome that's got some heat to it and some real you know backbone to it and, and then yeah the other stuff is like matches with stakes like the Averno and Ultimo Guerrero thing I think that that tag match the winner winning team advances to a hair match on that show as well so you're getting a, an additional match uh, uh, combined with that, I think they're going to do it on this. I don't know if uh, Cubs fans not sure if they're going to do it back to back or if they're going to give it a little bit of space or whatever. But yeah, you're also going to get another bonus match between one of those two teams uh, as well. So that's cool. And then, like you said, the Templario versus uh, Dragon Row. I mean, it's it's for a mask, and those matches always have some stakes to them. You know what I mean? Like someone's going to lose their mask, like no matter what, like no matter what it's going to be. But uh, it's been a well built feud, and I think both those guys are pretty solid. I, I've been a big fan of Templario uh, so far this year. So yeah, it's like you know. It looks good on paper, and I think that's, that was essentially Cubs fans, you know, review or, or, or preview was kind of like on paper it kind of looks like a disappointing lineup, but then you really break it down, and it's like yeah, there's some better stuff in here than you might think. And at the end of the day, CML is pretty much delivered on every one of their major shows, 
this year. So there's a very good chance it's going to be great as well. So yeah, it looks like it should be a lot of fun. Now, watching it's going to be a little more difficult. I think it's streaming live on some weird service. And then on YouTube, it'll be there if you pay for CMLL's YouTube or whatever. But uh, there, there's also nefarious means if you want to uh, watch uh, CMLL eventually as well. But uh, we'll, we'll preview it when we, or we'll review it when we get a chance to, uh, to watch it. But hopefully it should be able to be watchable pretty soon. Uh, so there you go. Now let's move on to the other tournaments. We'll start with the NOAA N1 Victory Tournament. Uh, they wrapped up their tournament September 3rd. Go Shiozaki defeating Kano uh, in the tournament finals to win his first ever N1. Uh, we've caught up on the entire tournament. Or I should say you've caught up on the entire tournament. I watched like the last six or seven matches from the tournament. You somehow watched every single match from this tournament over the last couple of days. So why don't you give your overall thoughts about the tournament and then we'll talk about kind of the final stretch really the final two shows i think uh, i wanted to focus on a little bit more but uh, anything in the tournament itself that kind of caught your eye before we get into the final bits here okay so um i didn't watch every single match i i here's what i did the first few shows i watched every single match then from there once i got a feel for it i figured out what could be skipped okay were, were you watching all okay. these jace uh, <laughs> all these jake lee uh 30 minute draws or no because i'm not watching any of those jake lee was not good in this tournament. Um, he was actually one of the guys where I just stopped watching his matches. So um, d- I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, he but, he did a uh, Jack. Him and Jack Morris went to a thirty-minute try in this N one tournament, as well as him and Masa Kitamiya. I don't know why he couldn't just beat those. I don't know what what was going on there, but uh, well, his yeah, book was really weird. Um, <laughs> Got to protect Jack Morris. It's it's okay. All right, I've got. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine. I've got 13, 14, 14. Do I have 15? 14 notebook matches for the tournament. Okay. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. Um, and oddly enough, not the final. That may shock some people. Whoa. All right. So that is going to shock some people. I got a hot people. take on the final. It's going to shock me. Let's go. Um, I thought the best night was the 27th in uh, the Kawasaki, which had the um, the final stretch of matches to determine who was going to go to the final, and then the decision match between Goshi Ozaki yes. and Manabasoya. Yeah. Now, they had had a draw a couple days earlier. And then Soya beat um, El Hio del Dr. Wagner Jr. to go to nine points. And then Shiozaki in the next match beat Nakajima to knock out Nakajima and go to nine. So Soya and Shiozaki were tied at nine and they had to have a decision match. So, you know, Kano beat Jake Lee in to put them both at 10. But with the head-to-head, Kano advanced to the final out of the A block. But Shiozaki and Soya had to have another match because they were tied at nine and there was no tiebreak because they had a draw. I thought that their first match, the draw, up to that point was the best match I saw in the tournament. Okay, that was on the 26th. I think they wrestled on back-to-back nights, as a matter of fact, because the decision match was on the 27th. The match on the 26th, I went four and a half, four and a half minus, and then the decision match, I went four and a quarter plus. So essentially the same rating, but... I did prefer the draw slightly 
to the decision match. The decision match, I thought, took a while to get going. It did. Yeah, that, that was um, good. That's my notes. Is like uh, the end. The last couple of minutes were awesome, but it took like. And they tried to sell, and I get it the way that they try to sell this. Because if, if if you weren't watch, if you didn't watch this show, what they had is Soya won his match, and then he just hung around because Shiozaki was next, and he just said, "Ah, you know what? I'll sit and watch the match, see what yeah, happens." I love that. I, see if I, I go through. So, so he's sitting there shirtless in a pool of sweat. <laughs> like get the man a towel for God's sakes. He's just sitting there sweating, and they keep showing him on the camera, and he's grumpy because he's Minamu Soya, so he's a little grumpy. He's sweating. And he's watching this match, and he's watching this match, and he's watching this match, and then Go Shiozaki wins, and they cut to him, and he's got the look on his face, like, fucking, all right. I'll face the guy. Fuck it. All right, let's do this. You know what I mean? Like, he, he's got yeah. a, it's a cool look, though. He looks like a badass. Like, he's not like, oh, I don't want to face this guy. He's just kind of like, ah, I didn't really think I was going to be having to work again, but you know what? I got to take this guy's head off. Fine. Fuck it. I'll take this guy's head off again. And Shiozaki has that same look, too. So they come out for their decision match, like, 20 minutes later, both guys are still sweating. They're not really all put together. Soya's hair is still fucked up. Shiozaki's hair is still fucked up. I loved, I love that. I love that they didn't go back and shower and put him in like, you know, nice gear and stuff. They came out sweaty. Soya's got, you know, bruises all over his body. Shiozaki's got bruises all over his body after facing Nakajima. And then they came out there and they just beat the fuck out of each other. But the problem was they they tried to sell that story for a lot of the beginning of the match is that both these guys were exhausted. And then they kind of kicked it into overdrive and did their kind of normalish match in the last half or so. But I, I agree with you; it, it did take a little while to get going. Yeah, which partially was the story, but it right. just wasn't very interesting. But it was still a great match. I just preferred the draw. Um, you know, and I, and and my big takeaway out of the tournament is that Manabu Soya deserves a push. I, I think that he was Fucking really rocks. a breakout guy here. Yeah, he rocks. And I think that may have been by design. I mean, look, on the final night, he beats El Hijo del Dr. Wagner Jr., who, don't forget, that's the national champion. So that sets up a title match. I mean, it should anyway, which I think Soya should win. And Soya, with these two matches against Go, really proved his medal against the guy who won the tournament. So uh, to me... And you never know with Noah the way it's booked. Okay? Yeah, it's a, da- it's a dangerous careful. thing to try to predict Noah. But to me, this was set up to get Soya over, and he knocked it out of the park. We might come on here in a month, and they go nowhere with Soya. <laughs> Very possible. But that's what it felt like to me. And he yeah. was really great. You know, the match on the 10th against Yuma Anzai, I went four stars. He had... um. Let me pull out my notes here. The uh, Yeah, obviously the two matches against Go. I just thought Soya throughout the whole tour. Nakajima on the sixth. The match he lost to Nakajima. That I thought that was a notebook match. Nakajima was phenomenal in this tournament. Nakajima's match against El Hio del Dr. Wagner Jr. on the 10th. The two best shows were the 10th and the 27th. The 10th had Soya versus Yuma Anzai. Nakajima versus El, El Hio D. Dr. Wagner Jr. And uh, the Kano versus Yoshiki Inamura match, which I thought to that point was the best match in the tournament. It, it got surpassed later on. But, you know, that match fucking rocked. Um, you know, so those two nights of the tournament I thought were the best. The 27th was the show we were just talking about with the decision match. But, um, you know, some other guys that stood out. I thought Kano was obviously, you know, Shiozaki, Yuma Anzai working kind of like an underdog gimmick. You know, I thought his matches against Goshiozaki, Minabu Soya really stood out to me. The, the, the Nakajima match on the 19th. So Yuma Anzai had a bunch of really good matches. 
Manabu Soya actually got a really good match out of Lance Anoe. And what's funny, I went four stars plus on that. What's funny is um, I w- I got Rex from uh, Gerard DiTrolio, no, no relation to Finn, before I watched anything. And he had Manabu Soya versus Lance Anoe on there. And I, I thought he was ribbing me. And <laughs> thought he'd throw in I, one, one just to, you know. Just to fuck with me. You know? right, and right. I, I sent him a message. I'm like, really? Soya versus Anoe? And he's like, I don't know. It was, it was Lance's best match. And I thought it was pretty good. So I was like, all right. And I looked on cage match and had like a 6.9. I was like, all right, I'll watch it. But um, it fucking rocks. It fucking rocks. Soya was so good in this tournament. You know, he he really came across like a guy that they should get behind. So, you know, and then there were guys that didn't come across well at all. I thought Jake Lee. Um, I, I don't even know if he hit my notebook once. To be completely honest, I don't think he did. I'm looking at it now. Um. You know the Cano match that people went crazy for. What you did you watch that match? I did, no? I did. Yeah, I, I did watch that. I I liked it probably a little bit better than you did, but I I see now that it's got an eight point eight six on Cage Match. I don't think it's that good. I I thought Cano that was really is mental. That that That's is a- wild. Right? I thought Cano was great in that match, and I thought they did. They suck. They got a little bit out of Jake Lee. They, like the most charisma I've ever seen out of the guy did come in this match. Like he did look pretty good, but. Yeesh! I don't know if I can go that high on that. I'm that's like, I'm like, half star. That's a three and a half star. I'm match, four. So. I'm four flat on it, which is is not, you know, that's a a good I match. I can't kill but... you for four. I can't right. kill you for four. But I, I I was bored to tears. Um, I thought that Adam Brooks had a terrible tournament. I thought he didn't he didn't he didn't set himself apart or stand out at all. Adam Brooks. I thought that. uh Jack Morris was okay. Really wasn't put in a position to have great matches. I'll tell you who was a dud. This isn't going to surprise you at all. Yuki Yoshioka. I, I've had. Enough oh of that. yeah, yeah. I, I'm over I, him. I, I, I've had enough of that guy. He, he just, he's, he's. There's nothing there. Um. Now he did have one. Okay. I, I liked the Kano match on the 11th. Yeah, you know, I went four stars on that. Outside of that, I had to. He's one of the guys I had to stop watching. He's just such a fucking dud. Yeah, I, I bounced he, around a little bit in this tournament. I didn't watch as much as you did, but everything I saw with him, I, I didn't love. And then he had that six man uh, on the final night, and he's in there with Masakitamiya and Marafuji and Sagira and Inamura and, and Anzai. And he was like six out of six on those with those guys. You know what I mean? It's just like I believe it. I didn't watch that match, but yeah. I believe it. I'm like, dude, you know, let's go, man. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um. Daike Inaba was okay. I, th- I thought his Nakajima match was his best match. Um, yeah, I don't know. They they brought in a lot of outsiders. You know, like Saxon Huxley was in the <laughs> tournament, but you have to remember he's he's the he's a he's a tag champion right now with Thatcher. So you're gonna have your champions in the tournament. It was a nice mix of guys because they had some different guys in it. But um, yeah, the standouts were Soya, Goshiozaki, Nakajima. Kano, um, you know, no one that would really surprise you except maybe Soya. Soya was, I, you know, I, I really feel like they're missing the boat if they don't push him. And it really feels like that's kind of what they were building to here. Now, the final night, uh, the final didn't land for me. Ah, I don't you're know. nuts. I you're nuts. I thought this okay, was a Joe Lanza match nuts. through and through. You're nuts. I, maybe. I mean, I thought it was okay. I didn't hate it. It just didn't. Here's my problem with the match, okay? The story is Goshiozaki has taken all these beatings in the tournament. He had to go through a decision match. Now he's in there with Kano, who's kicking him in the head. And, you know, he's dead behind. He's knocking him out, dead behind the eyes and all that. 
there wasn't enough of a big comeback for me. I, I feel like the finish was so abrupt. That's fair. Considering the story that they were telling. Like, I, I, I felt like Go should have been, it should have been harder for him to overcome this two-week-long story of the tournament, the story of this match. And he kind of just came back quickly and just beat him. You know, and it's like, that kind of left me a little empty. You know, I, the story of the match was good and sound with Kano kicking him in the head and trying to beat him by knockout and all that. And Go is just so good at being the beaten up old veteran. He's oh, so yeah. good at that. And I didn't hate the match. I just didn't, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't hit me at that kind of level. I would go like three and a half, three and three quarter stars maybe. Wow, yeah. I'm, like I'm a surprised. Good match, but not a great match. Yeah, I'm surprised. I thought you'd like it a little bit more. I mean, it's super hard hitting. I thought the Soya matches, I thought both Soya matches smoked it. That, Interesting. That okay, okay. Yeah, I, I, I think I like this better than the Soya match from the night prior. Uh, or two nights prior or whatever. I forget the exact, the, the exact dates there. I, I think I like this one a little bit more. It was slow moving at the beginning. I get that. And and the crowd wasn't fully invested at the beginning, which did make it kind of. But there was a weird weirdness about this, too, because, you know, the crowd not making as much noise made the go chops that much better because he'd hit one of these chops and like it would just reverberate on the entire arena. And then okay, little by little. I don't little, mean to cut you off. But it wasn't just me, but the crowd wasn't into this, right? They weren't at the beginning. No, they were not. No, it, it was not just you. I was kind of surprised, too, because I was like, this seems like a bigger match and a bigger deal, and the, the fans just do not seem to be fully invested. But I will say by the end, they were just going absolutely fucking insane for this match. And then he hits the Emerald Flosion, and 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 I think there was a – I get what you're saying, that there maybe wasn't enough of a comeback. I think that there was a good comeback. Maybe not a great comeback, and maybe you do need a little bit more for Go, who was getting his ass kicked. And and I want epic in this. Spot. Yeah, especially when he's been beat down the entire tournament, and and Kano's the young upstart. I get that. I get that for sure. But I don't know. I thought these guys beat the fuck out of each other. I thought this went thirty minutes, and 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 other than a, a slow period at the beginning, maybe the first ten minutes or so, I thought the last you know twenty flew by, and they just beat the ever living shit out of each other, man. I I don't know. It's just it's just the simple stuff that I needed out of, out of my wrestling. Sometimes I watch a lot of bad shitty wrestling, and then this is, this was a match where both guys just came in filled with sweat, chopping each other, dropping each other on their heads, kicking each other in the heads, like screaming and spitting and snarling. I don't know. It just worked for me. It just landed for me on this particular day of watching at that time. But I I, I thought it was. I thought it was exceptional. I, I really did like it. I went, I went four and a quarter plus. Um, really, really liked it, and and saw that uh, eight point six one right now on uh, on Cage Match. So I'm I'm siding a little bit more with them uh, than you on this one. I I just thought it was pretty solid and, and definitely a match to go out of your way to check out from the tournament. Yeah, to me, I to thought me. it was good. I just I thought it was good, just not great. That's, That's fair. That's fair. Um, you know, sometimes I learn, sometimes I don't. Did you watch? Show... Did you watch the fucking Josh Barnett Funaki match? I did. <laughs> What'd you think? I thought it was fucking atrocious. I thought it was all right. I I mean, it wasn't as good as obviously the main event was better, but um, the the first half was you know garbage. <laughs> but I thought the physicality later when Funaki broke his nose with the fucking knee. I mean, business picked up for sure. Um, he had to have broken his nose, right? He oh, was for like, sure. Yeah, he he was he was gushing blood so barnett comes off and and funaki throws a knee and hits him in the face and you could you just knew immediately he caved his face in with it and um you know barnett eventually what he knocked him out with an overhead fucking german or something like that he threw him and knocked him out i think was the finish 
um, and the ref just stopped it. Yeah, he was in a he was in a triangle or, a, or an arm bar or whatever, and Barnett just lifted him up and dropped him, and then this ref was like, "Oh, that's it, it's yeah. over." So lifted him up, dropped him, and then it was like KO or ref stoppage, whatever. But um, I don't know. Like it did it it didn't blow me away, but I thought I was gonna hate it, and I ended up kind of liking it. So I don't know. It's it's the kind of match where I'd give it like three and a quarter or something like that, three and a half maybe for the broken nose, but um, you know I I could see why you hated it. Like, yeah, you hate Josh, but you you cannot stand. Josh no, Barnett, I, I like some one. Josh Barnett. I don't yeah. like when he's just. I don't want to watch two guys rolling on the ground for they eleven rolled minutes for a couple minutes. Look, look. <laughs> I don't need to see that. This was a ten minute match, and they rolled for like four minutes of it. So I understand what you're saying, but then when they stood up. You know, Funaki's doing the leg kicks. I thought Barnett did a good job selling those inside leg kicks. Uh, Barnett, I don't know. He didn't. Ha- he didn't have a training camp for this match. I can promise you that. He was uh, yeah, a little puff, little puff, yeah, little flabby, little flabby, a little flabby. Josh Barnett. But uh, you know, but you know, I, I thought you know once he caved his face in, you know, I how can I hate on a match like that? But um, you know. By modern Masakatsu Funaki standards, I enjoyed it. Um, now, I tell you, did you watch the semi-main event? Uh, yes, yes. I, w- I watched the whole show, actually. Okay, so Keito Kiyomiya and Rohei Oiwa against uh, Yoshinari Ogawa, the old rap boy, and Zack Sabre Jr. Okay. Oiwa looked like a fucking superstar. Okay, thank you. My, my note is star, capital S, star. Oiwa, and, that, he's a dude, man. That guy's a dude. And I knew this was coming. But I didn't know it was coming this fast and to this extent. I mean, New Japan just keeps pumping him out. I mean, I don't know what they're going to do. This guy looks the part for sure. And you know, it hit me when I was watching this match. This is so funny. You know, Keito Kiyomiya goes to the G1, right? And we're thinking, this is great for Noah. They got him in the G1. They got him in Sonata's block with all these other young guys. It's two guys advance. Kiyomiya is going to go to the tournament and lose. Right, but that's okay. It's gonna be a good for him, good for Noah. He goes to the G1, he finishes with a losing record, he doesn't advance to the tournament, and then on the rest of the shows on the back end of the tour, he's teaming in prelims with a young lion, Rohe Oi. <laughs> right. And we're like, what the fuck? They couldn't have treated him any worse. The the point of him in the G1 <laughs> from the New Japan perspective was simply to set up. Rohe Oiwa's excursion to Noah. Yes. And to send Oiwa to Noah to team with Kiyomiya, which is so funny to me that Noah didn't push back on that, didn't ask for anything in exchange, right? Now we know with the benefit of hindsight, New Japan don't give a fuck about Keito Kiyomiya. Hell no. Why would they? They don't need to. Right. And Noah didn't push back and say, all right, we'll do this. We'll take Oiwa. We'll let him have his excursion. Because for people who don't know, Rohe Oiwa is doing his excursion in Noah, which really isn't an excursion. He's staying in the country. It's kind of, you know, offbeat and different, right? And the kayfabe story is is Kiyomiya took a liking to him, teaming with him at the G1, and now he's going to team with Kiyomiya in Noah and do his excursion there. But it's like the whole purpose of Keito Kiyomiya in the G1 was so New Japan could set up sending a young lion to Noah. Yeah, who now completely overshadows Kaito Kiyomiya. Yeah, it's 
fucking wild. And here comes like, Oiwa with his fucking chiseled body and his charisma and his is a oh my god in this he match looks like a fucking billion dollars in that <laughs> ring. <I know. laughs> like with his new gear and his haircut and his body, it's like it's unbelievable. And it's like we all fucking worked ourselves into a shoot. The whole point of this guy in the G1 was to fucking bring a young lion back to Noah with him. <laughs> he couldn't look like a bigger geek. He could not look like a bigger geek. And oh, by the way, he missed his own company's tournament to do so. <laughs> right. Right. To put up a losing record and become a tag team partner with a young lion. Man, did New Japan play Noah like a fiddle. Yes, they did. They played them like a fiddle. If I'm Noah, at minimum, at minimum, okay, good plan. He goes to your, he advances in your tournament. You can beat him there. Then maybe you try to get an extra nibble. Can he get a draw with Sonata? No, out of the question. Okay, no problem. But can he, as long as we have him advancing, right? You try to get a little more, you know, but it, you, you can't expect too much at minimum winning record and advancing no you don't even get that here's what you get you get a plate of shit you're gonna eat the shit and then we're gonna send the young lion back with him for you to team with right so you can help him get over a little bit more but then he's pretty much instantly gonna be more over than you <laughs> so that's the rub this motherfucker Oiwa is gonna get pushed in noah yep like the end result of this is Oiwa, they're gonna win the fucking tag team titles they're going to win the tag team titles. This young lion's going to go to Noah and fucking tear through their roster and win titles. And Kiyomiya went to New Japan and had a losing record. And he's going to America. He's going played. to America in a little bit, too. He's doing his little tour of America. So he's going to be gone for a bit. The fuck? Well, listen, he wants to be in WWE. We all know that. He was on his way with fucking Muto to WrestleMania. And then he got his concussion or whatever, and he couldn't go. So I think who they, they sent Soya, right, instead? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, or Inamora. I forget. Who uh, Inamora. That, that's right. It was Inamora. Um, you know, but he that was a tryout. Muta had fucking, he had brokered a tryout for him. Yes, Inamora, who's like, now going on an excursion at age 30. Um... Yeah, and he's going to do a fucking tryout. There's a, <laughs> is there a tryout camp coming? I guarantee you there's a tryout camp. Coming. I have no idea. That's Why else would he be coming here? You think he's coming here to work fucking AIW? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. If or whatever the fuck he's working. What, what, who's even working? He for? is Kaito. I know Prestige has booked him. A few other places have booked him so far. But yeah, great. He's gonna make a couple bucks while he's here trying out for WWE. That's what this is. Because he couldn't come in in fucking April. But you know, and that might explain everything. I, the only thing I can conclude anymore with this guy is that they know he has one foot out the door. That's the only thing I can conclude. They got fucking played. <laughs> or they're just really bad at this. Yeah, that's I can't accept that, that you're that bad. But anyway, the, the, the match was very good. If you're a New Japan fan, you have to check out Rohei Aoiwa here. You have to. Yeah, Ogawa you know, and Saber are so good. That team fucking rules. I, I think well, they were they were a team a decade ago. I know, I know. They need. I think New Japan needs to find a way to just bring Ogawa in and just train oh, him for so awesome. Train yeah. him for somebody. You know what? Take take Oiwa. That's fine. Like New Japan, well, they need him probably, but 
He'd be a superstar. You know what? Oewa for for Ogawa. It's 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 a from bad. What trade. I just saw, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't trade. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Anyone yeah, on I'm, this I'm kidding. That I'm not doing that. I wouldn't that. trade him for anyone on the roster. No, I'm trying to think I of uh, who's a good. Oh, I've always said Hiroki Goto. That's what I've said. Give Hiroki Goto to Noah. Take Ogawa back. Yeah, fair. You know, there would have been a time where I would have cursed you for suggesting that Yoshinori Ogawa should leave Noah, but this isn't Noah anymore. No. I don't know what this is. Yeah, I, dude, this I roster mean, is so fucking weird. I watched this entire show, and it's like, there's so many white guys and luchadors and stuff, and I'm like, what is this company? It's like Stallion Rogers is around, and it's like he's the former Kurt Stallion. He's there, and you're like, okay. And then there's like, like uh, matches go from like Manabu Soya to Stallion Rogers, to Dragon Bane, to Anthony Green, Saxon Huxley. It's like high 69. I'm like, what is this roster? It's so weird. Daga, Chris Ridgway. And I'm like, what is this? Meth meth store Zack Sabre Jr. (laughs) Right. And Um, I got to watch Barnett and Funaki fucking roll around for 10 minutes. And it's like, what is this thing? It's you know so what, weird. Though, I, I enjoy, you know, it's it, they're, the shows are not bad. They're I not mean, bad. Yeah. And then Alpha Wolf shows up and you're like, all right. It's, it's, it's yeah, yeah. I don't know. You know, you get, you get Josh Barnett and Masakatsu Funaki in a martial arts rules match where they're breaking each other's noses. And a few matches earlier, you have a four way scramble with Ninja Mac. <laughs> right. It's so strange. You know, it, you're right. It is a diverse roster. And then you have Anthony Green and fucking Kurt Stallion. And they're like, oh, yeah. he's going to be with us for the rest of the year. And I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> like, what? Stallion Rogers is basically a regular. Yeah. And, you know, because he, he can't work in America with all the whatever he fucking said on the podcast or whatever. And then. Um, so he's a regular here. Anthony Green's a regular now with the good looking guys. And Lance Anaway was in for the tour, which is another weird one when you're watching a show like this. Um, then there's like women's match, like randomly in there. It's yeah, it's, it's uh, such a weird roster. Every match was different. Every match was different than the one before. Uh, yeah. Which is good. And I'm not like really that. a complaint. No, it's, it's like, just strange. Yeah. And then the constant, you get Muhammad Yone in an opener because <laughs> time no matter what he's yeah like that's that's you know always gonna be you can book a thousand uh, guys and and 17 different styles of wrestling but muhammad yone will be in that opener no matter what if it's noah and there's a green ring muhammad yone is there to be the the fucking yuki yoshioka might have been the least interesting wrestler on the entire show too it's it's i've had enough of that fucking guy i you know i'm not i'm not sugarcoating it anymore you know you gotta look like you care you gotta at least look like you care um yeah i compare him to like yuma anzai <sighs> come on it's like it's oh, not even God, close yes. um is that a good transition to the all japan you want to do the uh, let's stuff? do it we yeah let, let's do it we'll fit that in there but anyway n1 listen 15 notebook matches you can't listen it was an excellent tournament so i'm um, back in on noah for a little bit i think I, I think i'm back in for a little you know a lot of the friends of muto don't get booked that much anymore and you know it's uh we're months and months away removed from muto's retirement now nobody goes to these shows i mean they had two thousand people (laughs) well yeah yeah they had two thousand people in the body maker you know the osaka body maker and it sounded like it and it sounded like it for an n1 final and you know um but no one goes to anything anymore (laughs) unless it's wwe so it's like you know they you know but it's kind of depressing watching 
these Noah, like Noah shows in front of fucking 300, 400 people. And then these all Japan shows, same thing. Um, now listen, the, uh, the, the, where should we even start? Should we just do the, um, you want to do, well, I don't know what you watched. Did you watch the Royal Road final? I just watched the final of the Royal Road. I don't know if you caught up on everything. So no, actually, sorry. I watched the, the, the two semifinal matches and the final match. So I saw the, they wrapped up their tournament August uh, 27th, the Royal Road. Uh, let me get the whole uh, schedule here. It was 27th from Aichi. Yeah. And here's what I'm talking about. Less than a thousand people. Yeah, it's just kind of sad. But um, listen, when we talked our way through this thing, we convinced ourselves that Ryuki Honda was going to beat, um, uh, uh, what's his name? The champ. Who the fuck champion is coming? Yuma Aoyagi in the first round. Remember? We talked yes, ourselves yes, into that. Yes. What we didn't see was him beating Kento Miyahara in the second round. Like right. He beat both of them. Right. We had you a know, tough time thought... getting to that final without it being like Kento versus Ishikawa or whatever. Kento versus Suji or Kento versus uh, Kojima. I think I did, I did say that Kojima would be a good guy to get to the finals, but. Yeah, Honda, I did not think he was going to beat Miyahara and then come back and beat Suwama the next night, too, or, or a couple nights later. Right. Like, like we talked ourselves into Kento Miyahara getting the match with Yuma Aoyagi right away, but they went in another direction. They had Ryuki Honda kind of tear ass through everybody, and he was kind of the Manabu Soya of this deal, where it's very obvious. Now, I trust All Japan to go through with it, though. Yes, because for sure. that's the difference, because... And I know I'm jumping ahead, but after Kojima loses to Yuma Aoyagi, who comes out to challenge? Ryuki Honda. Based on what? Based on beating Aoyagi in the first round and getting to the final. Right? So he comes out as the next challenger. So they used the tournament to elevate Honda, and they didn't even have to have him win it. So that's pretty good booking. Right? They, they have Kojima win the tournament, and you figure, all right, while we have Kojima around, we may as well use him to try to pop some houses here. And... So they put Kojima in the first title match um, and, you know, he or yeah, the title match. Okay, so I watched like four shows today and now I'm getting I'm confusing myself. Kojima wrestled Yuma Aoyagi in Niigata. Yes, on September 3rd, September 3rd. And that's where Aoyagi beat Kojima. They also had Hiromu on that show. Right, right. They really loaded that up. But they did 1,500 people on that show. And then they came back. like a week later in the, uh, in another building in Tokyo and they drew almost 1700 feet, 1700 people for Kento Miyahara and Yuma Anzai on top. Right. And that's September 9th was that show. And that's September 9th, but we're jumping ahead. So let's, let's circle back to the final, the semifinals and the finals of the railroad. I did not watch the semifinals. So quickly, was there anything worth uh, breaking not- down? Really? Uh, so you had it. It was all the same night as well. So you had the two, you know, uh, uh, Honda and Suwama and Kojima versus Ishikawa. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I, I think both were pretty middling, both kind of middle of the road stuff. I, I really can't recommend either. I think I went like three and a half on Suwama and Honda. And I think I went like I exactly three and a half on, on Kojima and Ishikawa as well. So just fine, but not, nothing to absolutely go out of your way to check out. The news there was they were sending Honda to the final. Right, right. And. You know, he wrestled uh, Kojima in the final, and I really liked the match. I'd probably go three and three quarters or something. Kojima, I thought the finish, man, when Honda went for that, he does like that leg cap. He was going for like that leg capture power mm-hmm, bomb mm-hmm, type mm-hmm. deal that he does. And Kojima saved himself by grabbing the top rope. Right. 
And then Honda couldn't get the torque to slam him. And then he had him again, and Kojima grabbed the ropes again and got out of it. And then he hit him with a lariat. Fucking took his head off. And that should have been the finish. I agree. I'm with you, too. But he kicked out. And then moments later, he hit him with the proper Western lariat, and he beat him. But, man, I know Kojima wants to win every fucking match with the Western lariat. But, (laughs) fuck, man, that should have been the finish. Or he should have just gave him the Western lariat after the escape. Like, I don't know. that, That felt like the moment to me. But um, just short of notebook to me, but a really good match. And then that set up Kojima versus Yuma Aoyagi in Niigata. Like we said, that drew about 1,600 fans. It had Hiromu in the semi against Rising Hayato. I haven't watched yet, but I'm going to watch because I want to see that match. Um, And this, I thought, was awesome. So. Yuma Aoyagi to me just brings a different energy. He's got, he's, he's still, to me, he's like a snowball rolling down a mountain collecting charisma. Like he's more charismatic every time I watch. Yeah, him. every time I watch him, he improves a little bit. I didn't see this match, but, but I, I will say, as I've, you know, jumped around and watched some All Japan this year, every time I watch him, I'm like, this guy's getting better and better every time. Yeah. So this was a notebook match for sure, probably four and a quarter range. Aoyagi, as expected, they really, you know, it had a lot of, this match had more pomp and circumstance than you might think. Like, it felt big. And, you know, with Kojima winning the GHC title last year, whatever it was, and going after the Triple Crown again, I, I don't know, I felt some feels watching this, you know, and and it, it and Aoyagi is just so charismatic now. And uh, that, of course, leads us into the ninth in uh, that that building in Tokyo there, that Yoyagi National Gym or whatever, where they did the Kento Miyahara versus Yuma Anzai match. Now, you did watch that one, I right? did, yes. Saw that one. Right, so you go ahead and talk about that, because I just talked about the other match. So I will say the one thing that, if you do go watch this match, one thing to notice, and we've talked about with Yuma Anzai in All Japan and how they've done a very good job of building him up, that dude is a star in that building. He comes out, and the people are going nuts for Yuma Anzai. And there's, again, <laughs> the crowd's not big. Uh, it's a little under 1,700 or whatever in, the, in, the, in, in this building. So, you know, it does echo a little bit. But this crowd is into Yuma Anzai. And it's one of those moments where Kento comes out and he's just kind of like, you're not rooting on me enough. Like, I want a little more out of that. And anytime that happens, you get a very good Kento, too. Because Kento with a chip on his shoulder is a hell of a worker. And he went out here and just beat the shit out of Yuma Anzai during this match. I mean, they went out there and I, I don't know, man, I loved, loved this match and and I just loved how cocky Kenta was the entire time. I liked how underdoggy uh, Anzai was the entire time. I liked the crowd kind of oscillating between really, really, you know, digging, you know, Kenta Miyahara because he's their god, he's their savior. You know, what I mean, they love Kenta Miyahara, but at the same time, this crowd really likes Anzai now. So we're finally at a point where there's another guy that's getting that sort of love. So you kind of had that oscillating back and forth where people started to kind of root on Anzai a little bit, and the chance for him started getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and and you know, he just kept rising up as Kento's just beating on him and beating on. Him and beating on him and just enough Anzai would come up and 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 just get a little bit more get a little bit more going get a little bit more going and then the final stretch of this match was awesome and then yeah obviously Kento does get the win beats Anzai um you know continues to you know you don't want Anzai to beat Kento at this time like that you save that up for a very very big moment and a very uh, a time that it's going to mean a oh, lot yeah. more than here this is not the time nor the place to do it and, and this this is one of these companies where losing 
how you lose is important, and, and this is a great example of a guy losing but but gaining by losing because like Anzai felt like a dude here. This felt like a guy who was, who's getting closer. He's not there yet. He's getting closer to being able to challenge Kento. He's not quite there, but the fans are invested in. We're going to ride this guy, and, 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 and we're going to ride this wave with him, and when he does beat Kento, it's going to be the biggest thing in the entire world uh, if and when it happens. So, no, I thought this was really, really good. I went four and a half. I, I love this match. I went four and a half too, and I think it's it, it, as good a match as you can get where one guy just completely kicks the living shit out yeah, of the right. other. <laughs> Anzai, you can count on one hand how many how much offense Anzai had, but that's good. That's the way it should be. You 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 know, I know you're going on vacation and everything. You would really like a lot of Anzai's uh N1 stuff. It was him working from underneath as the clear cut underdog, and those Noah guys just beating the fucking shit out of him. And He's just coming across like a future guy. He really is. I mean, he's he's um, he's a future mega baby got, face. He he really is. You got to remember, man. Like I remember when he debuted, and you weren't super impressed. We, we he was a fucking literal baby. Like it was his first match. It was his first you know? wrestling match. Yeah, <laughs> we're so hard on these guys sometimes, and we forget that like this dude was fresh out of the fucking dojo, literally. Like, and and he's in big spots, and we're like, ah, you know, he could have done this. But it's like. Fuck, man, he's so good. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like he's so good. Like, thankfully, yeah. Th- thankfully, there wasn't now, this many people knew. listening to the first episode that we did, which I'm sure sucked. There was four people listening, so it was a lot easier to suck in front of four people as opposed to you know yeah. ninety, a hundred, a thousand, or whatever that are listening. And that's you know. the thing; he never even sucked. Like we acknowledge, like you were harder on him than I was, but like he was good right out of the gate, and you could see that there was something oh for there. sure, for sure. Yeah, I, I was mostly pushing back on like people being like this guy's generationally great and i'm like i don't know i don't quite see it just yet but now i did let's like now that we're and then you it's know like with hindsight you're like wait a minute it was his second fucking match right yeah like, with why? you know a year of wrestling under his belt now you can see holy shit yeah this guy is and that's why you know the guys evaluating him and, and yuji nagata and the like you know looking at this guy and going yeah this dude's got it this guy is it and 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 they were absolutely right yeah and it's like you know even he's 24 like Three years from now, he's still going to be like, he's going to be like four years into his career and still green. And and I can only imagine how good he's going to be by then. So, um, you know, I, I, I hate to keep picking on the same guy, but I compare him to, to, to Yoshioka and it's like, I don't know. I mean, it's like, it's not even close to me in terms of projectable, you know, stars moving forward. Right, but, right, um, right, right. You know, Miyahara was was so great in beating the living shit out of this guy. And yeah, you're right. It sets up stuff down. You know, it would have been all wrong for Anzai to win. You know, he's gotten so much so soon. He's had a fucking triple crown match already, you know, and, and that's a lot of that circumstance. But um yeah, it was uh look, all Japan, you know, they're doing 1,600, 1,700 people in these buildings for some of these shows. They're nipping at the heels of Noah with a fraction of the budget. And I think that has to be noted. Like Noah did 2100 for their N1 final with, you know, significantly more money backing and production and, and, uh, you know, uh, bigger stars without question, you know, they're and all that. And then here's little all Japan with their little indie budget and their smaller roster. And, there are shows that aren't as, you know, that aren't as big as an N1 final. And, you know, in the N1 finals in Osaka Body Maker, where you can 
cram 6,000 people in there and they're putting 2,000 people in it. And here's all Japan just chugging along with these shows in doing 1,700. You know, for a show that doesn't even have a title match on it. You know, Miyahara and Anzai. You know, all right, you expect the Triple Crown match with Kojima to do 16, 1,700, you know, but this show didn't have that, you know? And I just feel like that's a product of one company that's been booked so well this year and they're making a genuine effort to make people with this triple crown champion and Yuma Anzai and all that. And um and using Kojima wisely as they have over the last month. And you have another promotion that was killing it during the Muto retirement tour and did nothing to make anyone while they had all those eyes on it. And we warned this. Joe, warned if only this. somebody could have said something about this at the time and now been proven right by that. I just somebody should have said they something. They they squandered all of that, and and they didn't make anyone. And we're seeing the results. And I, and again, I really hope they run with Soya. I am confident that Ryuki Honda's getting pushed out of all of this. There's no question in my mind. He came out and challenged after Aoyagi won. Well, I don't With know if the you saw this. Dog collar on and everything. Well, I, I, I'm sure. I don't know. Did you watch today's show? I don't know if that's even up on on their uh, their service yet. But no, the last uh, show I watched was uh, yeah, what, what what we just talked about the ninth. Well, this is a pretty big result here in the uh, main event, and I, I didn't see it either uh, as well. It's just the show from today. Uh, they had Tag Honda match on top. Yes, they had Hana and Anzai uh, versus Miyahara and uh, Aoyagi, uh, Yumi Aoyagi. Yeah. They went to a time limit draw. Now that's making dudes. You know what I'm saying? Like that. That's that, huge. That is a huge result there. I mean, it was in Shinkiba first ring or whatever, but that's a, that's an important result there to have Honda and Anzai not lose, go to a time limit draw with Miyahara and Aoyagi. That's big. That's making dudes. That's that's that is classic all Japan pro wrestling making guys stuff. You know what I yeah. mean? Like yeah, and. Miyahara and Aoyagi, by the way, are still the tag champs, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if that was a title match. It uh, was not a title match, as far as I can tell. Aoyagi's a triple crown champ. Ryuki Honda, so there you go. And he's teaming with Anzai. So it's not just Aoyagi, it's not just Anzai. Now they're trying to make Ryuki Honda. And they had him beat Aoyagi and Miyahara and Suwama. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He beat Aoyagi, Miyahara, and Suwama in the fucking tournament. And now he's teaming with Anzai and going to a draw with Miyahara and Aoyagi as the tag champ. That's how you're making guys. That's how you're at least attempting to make guys. Now, it should keep a first ring, and there's more people in our fucking chat right now than we're at this fucking <laughs> right, show. But, but, but that's how you fucking make guys. Yeah. I see Hideki Suzuki sleezing his way into All Japan. Nobody needs oh, that. Oh, no. <laughs> Damn it. No. Nobody needs that. Go away, please. Why don't you slink off back to zero one where no one has to pay attention to you anymore? How about that? Um, but yeah, and, and let me tell you something. The Saito brothers holding that fucking ninth string tag. <laughs> Dude, I love those too. guys now, man. Now that they're just shit bag, they're like fat yes. and shit bags and they're greasy. I fucking love them. Yes. That's they're, perfect. They're gross. They have long hair. They look like they smell. And it's just like, yeah, that, that's that's actually the better role for these guys. <laughs> you know, these guys were the they were the dipping dot 24-7 champions. That's I'm not making any of that up. Dipping donuts. 24-7 champions. 
And now they're the G Infinity fucking champ, whatever that is. They beat uh, Czech Shimantani and Hayoto Tamura for those titles <laughs> back in June. So now they're holding these grimy ass fucking tag, gleet tag team title uh, deals. You know, that's perfect usage. You know, they're, they're involved in the Tenru Project tag title fucking game <laughs> oh, that's if you going can get, on. If you can get involved in the Tenru Project tag team titles, you got you just got to. You know, perfect usage using them as just, you know, dirty sleezers, part yeah. of voodoo murder. You know, because it, it's recognizing that that's what you're going to get out of them. You know, they're really doing a great job deploying people perfectly is what they're doing. And, and All Japan has been a delightful fucking watch all year. Yeah, I'm all, I'm all the way back in on them. So, yeah, that is All Japan. That is Noah. Those are Japanese tournaments. And that is it. Uh, for this episode of uh, the flagship podcast, um, have you? Did you see? Uh, no, no, we're running out of time. I don't want to get into it. So, Dragon well, got the, over anyway. Uh, Dragon had their new rookie. I don't know if you watched his match or oh, whatever. I didn't see it. No, He's good. I, 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 He's really good. I haven't had time. I'm going to get to it. I haven't had time. He's I really good. I, I won't. I won't spoil it for you. They they did fuck his name up royally, but uh, whatever. I'm not. No, gonna... I saw the name. Yeah, I saw the name. it's terrible, yeah. but whatever. Yeah. But he's good though. He looks he's like good. He's oh yeah, he's good. He 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 came in. He had a really really good match, and then after the match, he said, "Ah, the competition here kind of sucks. There's no one on my level." And the crowd went, "Oh, because <laughs> like wow, he's a fucking like ring back from excursion, yeah. and they're all happy about it." And he's like, "Eh, I don't know. You guys gonna give me some good competition or what?" And everyone's just like, "Well, excuse me, <laughs> like you're nice. you're a rookie." So he just immediately grabbed everything by the balls, and yeah, he, he he's good. I, I think you'll like him a lot. So, um. Yeah, check out yeah, that I'll match if you it. get a chance. Yeah, it, it's I'm the still match. behind on everything. I'm still catching up from fucking G1 putting me behind. It's, it's really <laughs> it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. And right now, after watching so much N1 in like three days, I yeah, I, you might need I to... gotta take a day or two. I yeah, can't. yeah, I can't believe you, you watch know. most of that tournament in three days. That's a, that's a hey, lot. Of you wrestling. gotta listen. You gotta fucking commit to the job. Listen, we blew it because we should have talked about these two tournaments the last couple weeks, and it, they slipped through the cracks. We fucked up, and I just fucking bared down and I got it. I, I fucking watched everything I had to watch. Yeah, last so, week when we were jacking around for an hour, we could have felt that, but we didn't watch yeah. it in time. And now we have this week where right. massive news stories happen and then we have to stuff the Japanese tournaments in the last part of the show. But uh, yeah. we got it done here. So that is it for us. That is Joe. I am Rich. Uh, VoicesOfWrestling.com, obviously, for all the previews, reviews, columns, including the uh, Lucha Blog, Cubs fan, uh, CMLL preview that we talked about as well. Uh, Voice Wrestling Podcast Network on your podcast app of choice. Uh, YouTube, make sure you follow us on YouTube. Like and subscribe uh, to the videos there. We're trying to grow that channel a bit. Uh, Discord, VoicesOfWrestling.com slash Discord. Uh, and then, of course, if you want more bonus audio from Joe and I, uh, Patreon.com slash VoicesOfWrestling, uh, VoicesOfWrestling.com slash Patreon, or flagshippatreon.com is how you can do that so again that is joe i'm rich and we will talk to you next time on the flagship podcast take care cheering at pro wrestling shows in japan is back and 2023 is already shaping up to be a big year in the history of pro res that's why you should listen to the Emerald Flow Show. From the Royal Road to the Green Mat, Paul and Gerard take you into the world of All Japan Pro Wrestling and Pro Wrestling Noah. Not only do we analyze events, but we examine business, who is getting over, what angles are working, or not. 
Occasionally, we take a look at other Japanese promotions like DDT and Zero One. So if you're looking for more coverage of the world of Japanese wrestling, check out the Emerald Flow Show on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network, available on all of your favorite podcast apps.